welcome everyone to Davos Fingers episode 55, Heavy Lies the Crown. I'm Scad, and with me as always is my buddy Matt. Hey everybody, so this time around, hey, I didn't forget and leave that awkward pause. <laughs> I know, we're Although getting this better kinda, everyone. This counts as an awkward pause because I just interrupted myself right after I did it. But... You blew it! <laughs> Got it out of my system, next time it'll just be seamless and smooth. Okay. Uh, we are covering, everybody, A Feast for Crows and A Dance with Dragons. It's what we are reading right now. However, we're reading them together. Special reading order. You can find it at davosfingers.com. Uh, today, we will be discussing the next five chapters in that reading order, which happen to be John 3, Danny 2, and Reek 1 from A Dance with Dragons, and then Kraken's The Kraken's Daughter, and Cersei 3 from A Feast for Crows. So get it. That's right. It's going to be a good episode. Uh, a few announcements before, before we jump into the episode. First, Song of Madness finished up. I'm sure everyone's seen that uh, by the time this episode releases. Mm-hmm. It will be in a couple weeks. But uh, congrats to John. Uh, the, you know, and also congrats to the real winners of A Song of Madness, which is us. You know, the, <laughs> the Davos Fingers podcast that get to interact with all you guys. Yes, and you guys, the fandom that get to kind of come together in what is generally kind of a dry period in the fandom and, uh, you know, get together and talk about some of your favorite characters. We had uh, a reasonable amount of, you know, uh, I don't know, anger at, at the field this year and the rankings. Uh, but, you know, that's to be expected. So yeah, I think you it was can just, just a keep blast. Being angry. <laughs> yeah right yeah it's not keeping us up at night uh we we really don't we had put a blast that much thought into yeah. it oh yeah we have a ton of fun and um, yeah I, we got a we got an email from somebody i can't remember who it was now that, that was saying like well one and a half of the bracket seemed really really unbalanced for the other half and i'm like yeah we didn't do it on purpose all we do is see them and then it shakes out however it shakes out but yeah. uh anyway uh congrats to john a little bit of a surprise were you surprised matt uh, I was, I was, I was especially surprised at how handily he beat last year's champion. He he beat Sir Jamie uh, handily, no pun intended. Uh, <laughs> they both have fucked up hands. Those two, they kind of do. Yeah, he's kind of mangled. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was surprised he beat him pretty handily and uh, and beat Davos pretty handily. Beat Davos too. handily. Yeah, Davos yeah. Jamie last year was a fifty-one forty-nine er. It was it was a good one and. Yeah. yeah, it was kind of it. It was it was a weird matchup, man. It didn't fluctuate. It was like fifty-seven forty-three the whole way. Yep. Interesting. I surprised guys uh, like Stannis didn't go farther. He's got such a big following in the fandom. Um, yeah. So surprised to see him go down like he did. I uh, was surprised to see Ned Stark make it as far as he did. I mean, yeah, I Ned know he, people love him, but he he was a contender the whole time. Yeah, last year he lost to Arya, uh, like a round earlier than he got, maybe even two rounds earlier than he got this year, but um, he beat Bran kind of in the same round last year and, and then took Tyrion out, which was a stunner to me. Mm-hmm. I, I feel, it's interesting, I feel like I feel like the fandom is, like with time, kind of turned on Tyrion a little bit, which is surprising a little because the only new evidence that we've been given is the show, and uh, again, I don't watch the show, but it feels like the show paints Tyrion as a nicer fellow than the books do. And uh, so I'm a little surprised that people have turned on him a little bit. Yeah, yeah. You've got to have your heroes in TV, right? And he's, I think he's more on the hero side. But uh, yeah. yeah, I agree with you. Yeah, all right. Well, let's move on. 
uh yeah it was fun we'll definitely do it again next year we've we're already batting around ideas for uh what we can do to make it better so yeah if wins doesn't come out we'll probably swap the format up a little bit but if wins Mm -hmm. comes out you know we'll have a whole different kind of set of beliefs on some of these characters so it might be interesting to keep it the same that's true very true good point yep we'll see might find some people making it in that haven't before and Yeah. yeah could be good uh, another big announcement, big for Scott and I anyways, uh, the two biggest <laughs> yes. Star Wars fans that I know, is that Rogue One came out this week. I know uh, Scatty and I both went out and bought it day of, but uh, Scad's actually watched it. Um, I, I, haven't, I haven't watched it yet, all the way through. I mean, um, I, I watched it while multitasking. It was, sure. you know, it was split attention, but yeah. yeah. I did watch the special features while I was packing. Uh, and they were very fascinating. Oh, were they? I'm bad with special that. features. I still haven't even watched the special features from Force Awakens, man. I'm, I'm bad with special features sometimes. You're a bad boy. Uh, Whoa. But... That just got weird. <laughs> so, uh, let's see here. So, when, when Scad and I were talking about it, we got into a bit of a conversation about what our favorite, the, the order of our favorite Star Wars movies were currently. So we thought that we would ask you guys too, and we'd tell you ours. So do you want to go first, mister? Which gives the order. Sure, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I liked Rogue One. I liked it a lot. Um, but I couldn't I couldn't put it above any of the original trilogy. Mm-hmm. And I really struggled with Force Awakens. Force Awakens is an interesting tale to me. I really enjoyed it when I first watched it. I enjoyed it when I, when I watched it the second time. I understood all the arguments about it being derivative. But I still, the stuff with Ray is so good. She's such an interesting character to me. So I mm-hmm. still put that one above above Rogue One. So for me, it's five, six, four, seven, Rogue One, two, three, and then one doesn't even register. I don't bother with it. Oof. Oof. That two above three just still blows me away. Oh, but... I just can't I, can't, I can't deal with the dance fighting lightsaber fight in three. I can't handle it. <laughs> It's so long. It takes forever. <laughs> yeah, and they're dancing. I mean, right. they're dancing. Well, and the, they say that the reason is because, you know, Anakin was trained by Obi-Wan, so their fighting styles are very similar. They're almost equal. Um, and, and that's supposed to make it more interesting? Like, to me, that just makes it more boring. I see two guys who look alike uh, from afar fighting the same style with the same, even the same color of lightsaber. Color matters sometimes. It makes it more interesting. And, uh, yeah. The part, the part that kills you with that lightsaber fight, sorry, departure, when they're standing, it's, it's literally two feet from each other. Mm-hmm. And instead of swinging at each other, but they're both doing lightsaber tricks, like behind the back and in front of their bodies and like spinning <laughs> yeah. them around. And it's like, all you need to do is flick your wrist and you'll cut him in half. You Break it down. Just... Like, anyway. Break it down now. Yeah. Anyway, go ahead. Sorry, your list. It's it's rough. Sir. I, I agree. Uh, my list starts the same as yours. It's Empire Strikes Back, <clears throat> which has only been in the past few years that Empire's taken over my number one spot. It used to be Return of the Jedi since I was a kid. Um, the Luke stuff is really good. Jedi was my first, the first Star Wars movie I ever saw. Yeah. Uh, so it is Empire Strikes Back, Return of the Jedi, Rogue One, uh, A New Hope, Force Awakens, 
Revenge of the Sith. Way down there, Attack of the Clones, and way below that, Phantom Menace. <laughs> I'm glad at least we have Phantom Menace's last together. Right. I thought I thought you had Rogue One as your second. Oh, it's so hard for me, Scott. You know what? Yeah, it is. Rogue One's still my, is my second. <laughs> I convinced you just by calling it out? I yeah, feel like that's what you said did. earlier in the week. I, I but... felt bad as soon as I said it. Like I was like, it's it's not true, Matt. You know it's what? not. You like Rogue One better than Return of the Jedi. Stop trying to you hide it. You have to go with your gut. You yeah. have to go with your gut, I man. Mean, yeah, I, I really love it. I, I've said it before. I don't need to say it again. But it's everything I've wanted in a Star Wars movie since I was a kid. And I, I love the characterizations. And it, it's grown on me with time. I, I think you said you might have liked it a little less the second time you saw it. But I, I'm starting to like it more. And... uh Favorite one of my favorite all time scenes in Star Wars is that final one with the Rebel Relay Race getting the plans from Darth Vader. Yep, it's right up there with uh, Han and Leia's first kiss, and the uh, escape from the Death Star with Wedge and Lando flying in and out. Yeah, it's right up there with my favorite moments in Star Wars. You know, you know what I really appreciated. I, there were things I liked better and things I liked less uh, the, the 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 last time I watched it. But you know what hmm. I really respected more was uh, Bodhi. I really like Bodhi a lot more the second time. He gave he a really cool. good performance, and he has uh-huh. a lot riding on this, some personal redemption. And uh, uh-huh. anyway, we don't need to go into all of it. If you're interested in hearing our thoughts, as well as uh, the departed Brooks' thoughts on Rogue One, uh, you can go back and listen to that episode. We, uh, we yeah, covered it back when it came out, and yep. yeah, we fingered the fuck out of that film, and uh, it was yep. a lot of fun. So go check it out if you're interested in hearing more thoughts on that. Big announcement from us, anyways this one yeah big announcement coming from us here so oh how do we even go about this uh dive in baby we (laughs) dive in that's the only way uh let go luke so we have been talking a long time about uh trying to take this podcast to the next level um and there's a lot of different ways you can do that but one way is to try and, you know, bring more content and, and up our game a little bit. And in doing so, we've decided to launch a Patreon campaign. Now, some of you may have heard of Patreon. Uh, it allows fans to help support artists and fandoms that they love with a monthly pledge. Um, you sign up for a, a dollar amount per month and you commit to that. And then we release all of our content to you and uh, you get certain benefits from from different levels and uh it allows everyone to kind of take part in the community and and benefit from an improvement to our content mm-hmm. so uh we're gonna go ahead with that it's launching it's as of today it's launched uh so you can go check us out uh but all of our normal chapter summary based episodes will still come out on Dabba's fingers monday as they always have been um so you know if you don't if you if you don't want to support through the patreon that's fine the episodes will still right. come out every Monday, just just like always. We don't want to, you know, we love doing this. We love giving this content to people. Um, the rewards we get just from sharing with everybody and getting comments and feedback is amazing to us. The Patreon thing is just something additional for people that want to help support us a little bit and let take it to the next level. Right. And thank you to those that have suggested it uh, to us. Yeah. We've had multiple people come to us over the years and say, do it. and We'd, we'd support you. We'd love to support you. And that really encouraged us and, and kind of gave at least me the guts a little bit to go, okay, we can do this. Yep. But 
yeah, Scad's right. Yeah. We would we would keep doing this, you know, just because we love it. But uh, this is a fun way to to kind of give you guys some incentives as well if you want to. So yeah, to, it's it allows us to also create a community, um, you know, that, that people can take part in and and and, uh, and enjoy. But uh, anyway, so if you want to support us, it's great. Come out, check out the Patreon site. Different levels and different rewards you can you can take a look at. We had a little fun with the names to make them uh, very Davos finger centric. Hopefully, you guys will enjoy them if you go take a look. <laughs> um, so, if you've listened to you, us for a while, you, you'll know what they're talking about. Yeah, if you, if you listen to us to us a while, you'll, you'll understand uh, every single level. It'll take it as a badge of honor if you understand the different levels of support. Uh, so, if you want to support us, um, great. Come out to uh, patreon.com forward slash Davos Fingers, uh, or you can just go to patreon.com and search for us. Search for Davos Fingers, and you'll find us there. Um, and you know, we look forward to everything. Look, look forward to uh, several more announcements coming out in the next few podcasts for some other things we're doing, uh, in combination with that launch. But, uh, yeah, come out and support us if you want to, if not, just keep enjoying the content. We'll keep bringing it. Yep. All right. So now to get down to the podcast, we are spoiler free. We say this every episode. We are spoiler free during the chapter analysis parts of the uh, podcast. Uh, but there is a special segment at the end called Davos After Dark. We'll warn you when that's coming so you don't get spoiled if you don't want to. I know we have a few, at least, listeners that have reached out and said, yeah, yeah, I turn it off right then. I turn it off because I don't want to be spoiled. I'm reading along at your pace. Great. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, yeah, so keep keep an eye out for that and then jump off if you don't want to be spoiled. Right. I thought that uh, around this time we'd start running out of stuff that would be spoilerific to talk about just as we make our way through the end of the book to the end of the written books but i'm surprised we still have a lot of content to explore and stuff so no dude seriously there's there's always going to be stuff yeah yeah uh if you want to contact us and we love chatting with you that's what's most fun about like stuff like a song of madness and hope hopefully a lot of you will keep in touch with us but you can find us uh at DavosFingers.com. You can email us. We are DavosFingers at gmail.com. We're at Twitter uh, at DavosFingers. Or you can find and like us on Facebook. So, that is it. And uh, Scat, it's your episode. But it's I'm going It first. is my episode, but guess what, Matt? It is your chapter. So dive right on okay. in for it, buddy. Where well, we're going up north where the winter's cold And the icicles bloom like the bluest rose We haven't met his mom, but we love his wolf He's John Snow Here we go. So it seems like we've heard about it for at least the last couple chapters. Mance Raider is gonna die. John has argued against it. Others have argued against it. But now it's time for Stannis to put his money where his mouth is. And knowing what we know of Stannis, are we really surprised? I mean, borrowing a phrase from the band The Script, Stannis is the man who can't be moved. Or is he? Anyways, Mance is paraded out just on the other side of the wall to a deep fire pit in front of the whole host of wildling prisoners, as well as a sizable contingent of knights watchmen, and uh, it's all overseen by King Stannis, the one true king and his lady in red. Mance is led to the pit and seems possessed of his courage until he sees the cage 
that he's to be placed in suspended above the pit. And it's then that his courage fails him. Crying for mercy, Mance frantically claims that he's not the king. He denies his name. He denies all that he'd ever been. But it all falls on deaf ears. Stannis' men bring out the Horn of Joramon, the famed relic that was traditionally believed to be a tool that could bring down the wall and that Mance had found. Melisandre curses it, calling it the Horn of Darkness, a tool that, if it could bring down the wall, would open a path for the others to pour through down into Westeros. The horse then, the horse then, the horn then, apparently out of nowhere, erupts into flames and is cast into the pit. Uh, this ignites the kindling within, and Mance, suspended above the flames in his cage, slowly begins to roast. Uh, living life like a burning man, as Third Eye Blind would say. So hearing Mance's cries, John finally mutters enough to the men around him. And apparently following some pre-given orders, four night's watchmen reveal bows each knock an arrow, and they mercy kill Mance. Surprise! Stannis doesn't seem super pleased, but, well, who cares? Mance is dead, but the show is not over. Melisandre, addressing the wildlings, then announces, Free folk! Your false gods cannot help you. Your false horn did not save you. Your false king brought you only death, despair, defeat. But here stands the true king. Behold his glory! Stannis then draws Lightbringer, holding it aloft for all to see. It's brilliant, radiating yellow, orange, and red, glimmering to the point of blinding. So at this point, having their undivided attention, Stannis then speaks up, saying, Bend the knee, and I promise you food, land, and justice. Kneel and live, or go and die. The choice is yours. Uh, the gates are then opened. And every wildling is given the opportunity to kneel before Stannis, swear fealty, and then pass through the wall to food, shelter, and warm clothing on the other side. The only thing they must do, besides kneeling, is cast a bit of weirwood, a branch, a piece of bark, into the great fire. Most take Stannis up on his offer, with only a few running off into the great beyond to whatever cold and dangerous fate awaits them. Now, John, taking this all in, can't help but empathize with the feelings of disbelief, skepticism, and downright anger that his black brothers are feeling. Uh, Bowen Marsh, first steward, frankly points out how many good men have been slain trying to defend the wall from the free folk. He suggests freeing the wildlings back on their side of the wall and then sealing the gates, freezing the gates shut. Now, John needs to be careful, Bowen cautions, for also the men are talking. They're saying that John is being way too friendly, they think, with Stannis. What if the Iron Throne should take notice? What would become of the Night's Watch if they were seen to be aiding a rebel? John emphatically states that there's really not much he can do about Stannis and his greater number of men. Now, as for the Wildlings, they are united with the Watch against the common foe, the others. They must make common cause. We will be united in our common defense, is what I think the guy from Independence Day says. And now that they are on the safe side of the wall, they are part of the realm that the Watch is sworn to protect, like it or not. It won't be a perfect relationship. Not every wildling will co cooperate, but they've got to make it work. 
Now, John leaves at this point, originally intending to go have supper with the men, but upon arriving, he experiences the harsh reality of leadership yet again. He's just not one of them anymore. He can't sit and joke around with Grin and Pip or hang out as one of the guys. Uh, after chastising the men a bit for talking badly about Stannis and his men, he retires, he leaves. So on his way back, he stops at the quarters of Clytus, an older steward whose primary job until recently was to assist Maester Aemon. Uh, not much happens here besides the two sharing a glass of mulled wine. Uh, but one quick note that comes up is the Jade Compendium, one of the books Aemon leaves for John. Now, remember how Aemon had marked a passage for John to read? Well, turns out the passage was referring to Lightbringer, the sword of Azor Ahai that Stannis now claims to wield. Funny thing, though, the passage emphatically states that the sword not only gives off light, but heat. Like intense heat, like melting people's eyeballs heat. But Stannis' Lightbringer, nothing, John remembers. Bright and shiny, but no heat. Hmm. So later, arriving at his quarters, John has another kill-the-boy moment as he decides to send his friends Halder and Toad to the Shadow Tower and Gren and Pip to Eastwatch. They're not around anymore. Whether that was a kill the boy, like I need to, you know, kill my past, or or maybe it's to protect them, uh, get them out of harm's way in case the free folk do kind of rebel. I don't know. But uh, anyway, Stannis then, or Stannis, John then heads to bed thinking, this is my lot from now until the end of my days. And uh, that's where, that's where John 3 ends. End of chapter. Uh, yeah. Do you, do you mind if I bring up something right off the top? Go for it, buddy. It went up with a whoosh as swirling tongues of green mm -hmm. and yellow fire mm -hmm. left up crackling along its lines. Mm -hmm. What does that make you think of? Well, Matt, I don't know how many times you've stared at fire. I've been drunk several times around a campfire mm. uh, in college and Me otherwise. too. And, yeah, yeah, I believe that about you. Uh, and green doesn't enter into it. Nope. Um, there's no green. Uh, the only thing we know about green fire is is wildfire uh -huh. in the uh -huh. story, and yeah. um, it's interesting. I, I mean, you know, one of the most interesting things about it is why would Melisander think that she can get away with this? People Do know what green fire means. They know it's they know it's not real. Right? They know it's like fake magic fire. But but still, I see what you're saying, but there's the illusion of power. Well, and I don't even someone... know that it's illusory. I mean, <laughs> it's, it'll burn you just the same right. as regular fire. Exactly. And so that's almost more scary that it's strange and not familiar, right? Yeah. Yeah, maybe. But yeah, I... If it was green, I'd be like, yeah, something's something's wrong. Either something's wrong here or something's very right. Or I guess what scary. I mean to say is it seems like she's trying to have this effect of uh -huh. the horn just burst into flames in our presence because we are so powerful. But if anyone's paying attention, they're like, oh, that's there's a trick somewhere that's wildfire. It didn't just right. burst into flames because you're powerful. It's like you set some pots up and, you know, burned it. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It just it goes it goes to the whole theme of this chapter to me, which is just it's all a show. Barnum and fucking Bailey, right? Oh yeah, oh yeah. 
Even John gets into it with his 200 men lined up in silver-sabled garb, hiding how young and old they are, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know? With their hoods up, yep. Yeah. Looking awfully ominous, probably. Yeah, he's even getting into the show, right? Even though he despises it, he says a couple times in the chapter, you know, calls it a mummer's farce or a mummer's show or something. Yep. Yep. But it's... uh, Was it effective, do you think? I mean, would the wildlings have... Uh, come over in droves had Stannis not put on the light show, Stannis and Melisandre. Well, the light show with the sword is a different matter to me. I think I think it was very effective. I, I guess mm-hmm. I guess with the horn, I just what's the difference in throwing it in the fire versus making this show of it catching fire? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe maybe it helped. Uh, but yeah, yeah, I think I think the bit with the sword was very powerful. Yeah. Uh-huh. I mean, John. I, I had forgotten this. I mean, John. I, I didn't forget that he did it. I just forgot the kind of the magnificence of it. I mean, the, the way John describes it is it's almost blinding. Yeah. Which, uh, you know, and he even says, you know, is this the power of King's blood? Like it's so powerful that he's he's wondering what witchcraft has caused it. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I, I think it must have been very effective. Right. Yeah. Bring the free folk down so low that they think they have. No hope uh, besides following besides yep. following Stannis. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah, that, that goes into the whole kneeling thing, right? Um, mm-hmm. Which John says, you know, he had, he had advised Stannis, don't make him kneel. They hate kneelers. You're just going to embarrass them. Which, um, you know, people hate being shown up. They hate being punished to the point where it's it's degrading. Um you know, we have a an example of this in our our own history. In World War One, I, I don't know. I might have brought this up on, on this cast before, but in World War One, we punished Germany so harshly, like stealing land, and we fucked their economy so bad. Like we almost set up World War Two, and this isn't an original thought, guys. This is like history. Go look it up. I'm not. I'm not like breaking new ground here. Uh, like. It, it's almost like the way we treated them after World War One directly led to World War Two, and we learned from that because after World War Two, we didn't we didn't take those kinds of sanctions, we didn't do that kind of stuff. We learned like, oh, we put them in such hardship and such need for revenge and, and solidarity within their country to have something to grasp onto that war another war was almost a guarantee. And I, I feel a little bit like. Stannis, you know, who knows what's going to happen with these wildlings, but he's just breaking them too far with this kneeling stuff. It's like, you know what? You're burning their gods. You know, you're you're making them themselves burn the gods that they believe in. You're making them kneel. I get you need to have their respect, but man, you're, there's a flame inside of them that you're igniting, in my opinion. Right. You look at, uh, I totally agree. And you look at how Mance got them to follow him. And it was lots of different ways. A lot of different ways. And it was personalized for the particular group that he was, uh, he was, he was trying to win over. Very much so. Stannis has two things working against him in that regard. One is just his personality. He's not the type to, to do that. He's very by the book and I'm the king, so you respect me. I shouldn't yeah. have to win your allegiance. You should just give it to me because of who I am. Uh, and then the second thing, of course, is time. Um, Mance spent 
you know, arguably years, I think it was, uh, building, amassing his host of men to follow him. Um, a lot of travel hours and stuff. You don't uh, turn that around in a day. Yeah, you just can't. But uh, I agree with you. There comes a point where I, I understand you need to establish that you are authority. the dominant force and you are the yeah. authority figure. And and if you if you let them pass by this time without kneeling or throwing the piece in the fire, if you give them a pass this time, what passes are they going to expect later when they're actually living on your land and stuff like that? Uh, so you got to be hard at first, you know. But at the same time, if you exactly what you said, I shouldn't I shouldn't repeat it because it's exactly what you said. If you push too hard, they're going to push back eventually. Yeah. So. Yeah. That's scary. Um, on that note, Bowen Marsh comes off as a complainer, an incessant, just like just give John a break, Bowen. But. When you look at it from I don't his know. perspective, I, the perspective yeah. of the Night's Watchmen, guys who have been in this their whole life, many more years than John ever has, this is what they grew up hating. You know, the others thing at this point is a legend. They're not these guys in the current Night's Watch are not defending the wall against the others. Maybe those who came back from the Fist of the First Men have it in the back of their minds, but for the last how many years it's just been wildlings us versus wildlings and that's their whole life they don't go to war for a few months and then come back home to their farms and their families like down south this is their whole life fighting wildlings and now here they come through the wall that these guys are protecting like yeah some people don't like bowen i'm just i kind of feel for the guy i understand where he's coming from I, I I totally get where he's coming from. I again, I, I hate how agreeable we are sometimes, Matt. God damn it! We should get together to figure out a few things we can disagree about occasionally. We but used to disagree all the time. It's... <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I know. I don't know what's happening. Uh, either I'm bringing you to me, or you're bringing me to you, or we're meeting in the middle. Meeting but in the middle. I'm with you on Bowen, man. I, I, I'm I'm like this advice is sound. Like from from. From their perspective. I'm, From I'm not saying John's wrong yes. here. I'm mm -hmm. not saying John's wrong. I'm just, as a commander, you have to deal with these perspectives that seem valid. So, I don't even know. How long ago was it? Three weeks? I don't know. I don't know how long it, how long it's been. But three weeks ago, Bowen Marsh took some sort of blade to the head and lost an ear. He yeah. lost many good men on the Bridge of Skulls with him as he defended it. And... Now you're just inviting them in. That's demoralizing to the people that just won that fight. Yep. It's hard to take. And his advice isn't wrong necessarily. It, it it's 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 uh sorry. What he's advising him to do by turning them away and saying, Well, yeah, I'll go fight the others in the north, that's probably going to be ineffective. Mm -hmm. But what he's bringing up is a sentiment you need to address. And yep. John I love John. I, I'm a fan of John's character. I, I think he's he's a great great dude. Learning how to lead, he's not there yet. But when you hear something like this, you need to do more than just say, "I'll think about it." I'll think about it, and we've seen that we have a common enemy. We've got yeah. to unite to fight them together. Like you, you have. Oh, I'm to, a bastard. You have to bring everyone to. I'm a bastard. You have to bring everyone together. Put a PowerPoint presentation up on the big fucking wall, right? 
here's like, why ex- I'm doing this. Yep. Explain to them what the others are and say, deal with the cultural problem you're talking about, Matt, and say, you guys think this is the enemy. It is not. This order that you have joined is fighting these people. Next slide. And show the others. Blue eyes. Right? <laughs> yeah. Like, you, like it's, it's not enough to just tell Bowen, we've seen the enemy and they have blue eyes. You need to get a culture shift in this organization so that they understand who the true enemy is. And I know he's busy, but I just... And maybe George just decided not to, not to show us this scene, but I feel like he's not doing enough to galvanize the Nice Watch to say, this is who our enemy is. Yep, I agree with you. He 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 brings it up to sort of even. He doesn't even talk about it that much to the people he's close to, and it's only like yeah. if they bring it up. And you're holding your cards too close to the vest, John, and it's not doing you any good. Yeah. Man. Um Yeah, there's it just doesn't work that way. And and you know, he's uh the only other Night's Watch commander he he knew was Jor Mormont, and Jor didn't do it either, I think. Well, um, he didn't know. So no, that, but I mean, in uh, terms you, you, of you, you just you just you just make an order and you go and do it, and you yeah. should do it. And Stannis is kind of the same way too. I shouldn't have to oh, explain myself. You just go and you do what you are told to do. You're talking about commandment style, yeah. Uh-huh. And Eddard Stark talking about knowledge. Eddard yeah. Stark too. To as far as we know, uh, just you do it. And you shouldn't have to explain yourself because you are the Lord commander over these people. And yeah, but, but part of what uh, makes a good leader and I'm not one, so I don't know what I'm talking about, but part of what makes a good leader is seeing what your, what your followers are seeing and yep. addressing that. Right. Yep. I agree. Completely. Empathy, em- empathy and knowing what, what the people that you're leading are feeling and dealing with and, and mm-hmm. addressing that. And you can still do that, I think, with being stern. You can, you, sure. If John's, if John's interested in stern leadership, which frankly you need with these Night's Watchmen, sure. You can't, you can't be a buddy buddy type guy with them. I think you can still do that sternly. Yeah. You can still be unyielding, but just saying. You just I have know to reset the goalposts. Yeah. And yeah. He, here's what uh, I have to say about that. Yeah. yeah. Well, I do have one more thing. Um, which is, I don't know that there's any answer to this, but John is trying to convince Stannis, uh, or, or he, he intimates at the beginning of the chapter that he was trying to convince Stannis not to burn Mance. And he says he's fought others. And it it just, I read that this time and I was like, why aren't the wildlings dead? Mm-hmm. Like, why haven't the others just slaughtered these people? Yeah, we know they're close enough to. Yeah, it seems like they could. I mean, the the way that Sam chapter reads, you know how they're like trudging through the snow and like they have the ring of fire and the guy just kind of catches them at will. Mm-hmm. You know, and and the even the scene before that at the fist of the first man where they're just kind of like taking it to them with ease. It feels like they could just destroy the wildlings whenever they choose. Mm hmm. And the wildlings are still around in the tens of thousands. Right. There's it, something weird about that to me. And this is all speculation. I think we've speculated about it in Davos After Dark, and I don't we think there's it. any harm in speculating about it here. And that is that it's almost like the others are hurting people south mm. rather than... You, 
I think you have said that before. Trying, Rook. Yeah. trying to, trying to slaughter everybody and kill them. We've never had an other come up to Samuel Tarley and say, "We're trying to kill everybody, every human creature, and get over the wall and stuff." That's just what the legends say. That's what Melisandre says, but no others have actually said that. And I agree with you. Every time they go beyond the wall, even if they're just barely on the other side, like right here, I'm like, what are you guys doing over there? Like, don't. Do you know what's on the yeah. other side of that thing right now? Get back on the safe side, you idiots. But the, so they shepherd, they seem to shepherd or they seem to be trying to shepherd the Night's Watch back toward the wall. Right. But the others have been living there with the wildlings. Uh-huh. Well, well, we don't really know exactly. Like, it seems like the others have only just kind of come back into the world recently, you know, right. recently as of Game yep. of Thrones. Exactly. So, but, but it doesn't seem like they're trying to herd the wildlings. It almost seems like they're okay with them being there. Well, the wildlings were already moving south, kind of. They'd already kind of started their exodus with yeah, Mance. I don't know. They're up there digging up at the Frost Fangs. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, maybe a little slowly amassing and making their way that or the others are kind of waiting for to see what the wildlings will do if the others you know they can't get through the wall because of magical forces or whatever they're saying oh let's let these guys have a shot at it but but i thought what you were implying before was they don't actually want to get beyond the wall they're just trying to get the people out of their land it's yeah. certainly an option we need to consider. That's exactly what I'm implying, is that the only people who are saying the others are bad guys are people who aren't the others. Yeah. Well, bad is just a matter of perspective. Mm, but... That's if, it, if this book has taught us anything. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> the series, yeah. I mean. Is Tyrion bad? Song of Madness would tell you a oh, lot of different things on that question. Boy. <laughs> oh, man. That's... Dude. Let's stay out of it, but man, there were some opinions on Tyrion. Uh, And that's that's what I was actually going to bring up with your empathy point, is that we got into a lot of, or people got into a lot of uh, pretty good debates over the goodness or badness or rightness or wrongness of decisions or characters or things like that on A Song of Madness. And what I think that uh, we do a lot of times is we, you know, impose our beliefs or our thought structures or things like that on these characters when we need to do what you mentioned, which is step back and look at what they're doing through their eyes, their beliefs, their, you know, the way they're thinking. And then we, we get a really different perspective of these guys. So it's fun to do. Yeah. Uh, before we're done, I really liked the Ed said in this chapter, it was, it wasn't just funny. It was actually very thought provoking. Poignant. One of the most poignant lines I've, I've, it sticks out to me, at least right now, maybe more than a lot of other lines in the books. And it was from our dear Ed. Uh, he's saying to John about the wildlings, I, we hacked their gods apart and made them burn the pieces, but we gave them onion soup. What's a god compared to a nice bowl of onion soup? Yeah. How, how do you, how do you mean that it's poignant? Uh, trading in the comforts of now. For long-term, long-held beliefs, and uh, I feel that that's something to think on, even in our own lives, in our in the world we live in, uh, even in the even in other people in the books. You know, are we trading in something short-term now 
for these long-term long-held beliefs and and is that necessarily a bad thing too that's something to consider think how bad it is that they're basically turning their backs to their gods by by doing what they're doing but it's keeping them alive for at least another day and is that a bad thing yeah Hmm. one of my favorite lines one of my favorite lines from a classic song uh uh, pink floyd Mm. uh do we trade our heroes for ghosts did they get you to trade And yeah, are they doing that? They're trading their whole kind of culture. And, uh, you know, heroes is maybe not a direct translation for gods, but they're trading something that is very meaningful to them Uh to a hope of some, for a hope of something, a hope of some better life that they don't, it's not tangible to them. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wish you were here. Pink Floyd, my favorite song for Pink Floyd. There you go. And, but is, is that hope enough? I mean, I mean, is that valid? And I think that's an interesting question to have, you know? Yeah, for sure. One to think about. Yep. You know, those guys that have knives to their throats or whatever. And it's, if you just deny, you know, your beliefs will let you live. And they don't deny their beliefs and they go down as martyrs or whatever. But... You know, is denying your beliefs to live another day, is that is that a valid reason to keep doing it, you know? It's it's an interesting conversation to have. I don't know that I feel one way or the other. Well, I don't want to get too political, but I, I feel like the evidence has shown that, like, torture, which is not really what Stannis is doing here, but he's the options he's giving them are do this or go back and die with or the others and immense cold uh, yep. alone in the north. I feel like the evidence is out there and some people might disagree with me. Sorry for being, getting political, but people will do anything to avoid torture. They'll, t- they'll, they'll tell you anything. Mm-hmm. I am, I am the Messiah with a, you know, multicolored beard. Is that what you, that's what you wanted to hear, right? Like they'll, they'll tell you anything as long as it gets the pain away and gets them, mm-hmm. you know, the base, the basic human needs of food, shelter, and water. Yep. And is that bad? Not uh-huh. bad. I don't know. Not, not bad. It's is uh, that wrong? survival. Yeah. 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 Okay. Uh, move on? Yep. Let's see. We covered the major points. Lightbringer's not hot. I think we've talked about that. Or Stannis's Lightbringer isn't. We've so talked about it already a little bit. that. Yeah. 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 Okay. But, but fantastically yeah. colorful. The colors of the wind. Pocahontas can you paint with all the colors of the wind? Joseph, amazing Technicolor sword. Uh, yeah, yeah. I didn't know wind had a color. The colors of the wind, buddy. It's all the colors. Because mm. is it like the things that the wind blows that colors the wind? Like yeah. leaves and crap. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. I'm sure that I'm sure that's what Disney was going for. I I see where you're coming from, Pokey. Okay. Yeah. All right, we ready for Danny? Let's get into some Danny here. All right. Silver hair and purple eyes, always on the go. Kicking it with the dragon kids and Jorothy. And does she know just where she gotta go and won't be Tyrion? Look how Westerosi comes the nearest Targaryen. Danny is having a steamy sex dream with Dario. 
His golden mustachios gliding across her golden tan. <clears throat> anyway, Eerie woke her up in the middle. There's more Barney, Barney Rubble, a trouble. Grey Worm is here. There are more dead. Nine more dead, in fact. And this time it's personal, as one of Missandei's brother, an unsullied, an unsullied, has been slain. Danny has had it with mercy and orders the mercy of the dragon this time. The shave pate will question them sharply, any witnesses that they have. She also makes another choice. She can't keep bleeding unsullied from her ranks every night on patrols, so she creates a new force. A force of Marinese to guard Marine. Paid for by a new blood tax on the wealthy of Marine. Basically, the rich Marinese are going to pay for a police force to keep people from getting harmed by the rich Marinese ostensibly. Also, not just a blood tax, but a new child uh, loan program. Two children from each house will be honored by coming to Danny to serve as hostage, uh, as servants. Service, servants. Her order's given. Danny goes back to... What? I said they're like interns, kind of. Yeah, like interns. They're not hostages (laughs) in any sense. (laughs) Her order's given. Danny goes back to console her little Missandei, who's very sad about losing her brother. They lay together in a sweet little scene in which Missandei remembers her brother fondly and expresses her gratitude to Danny for the safety she provides to her. She reminds Daenerys that she is the mother to all of them. And Missandei eventually falls to sleep in her arms. It's very sweet, and for this reader, one of the things I really appreciate Gurm for, that he can handle scenes like that in addition to all the crazy other shit that he handles anyway danny can't sleep she's restless she wanders the parapets thinking of her ability to rule and of dream and dreaming of the dreamy dario again she bathes and is interrupted by quaith who tells her the glass candles are burning soon comes the pale mare and after her the others kraken and dark flame lion and griffin the sun's son and the mummer's dragon. Trust none of them. Remember the undying. Beware the perfumed seneschal. Now to that, Danny has what I think is a reasonable reaction. Speak plainly. I don't understand the words that are coming out of your mouth. <laughs> Stop with the riddles. Aquaith intimates that all she wants is to show Danny the way, and for Danny to remember who she, Danny, is. But at that point, Missandei interrupts, and Quaith is gone. She gone. Now to court we go after a brief breakfast, and Danny settles a trade labor dispute, and then she must hear the age-old fighting pits argument. But this time, his dar has brought a bit of a trump card. Seven pit fighters plead with her to open the pits this time. Now remember that the slaves of the fighting pits, these seven included, played a critical role in Danny's taking of Marine, as they were freed and fought alongside her sewer rats, Jorah and and uh, Barristan and others. They fought their way free uh, to free the city. She listens earnestly and starts second-guessing her stance. If this is what her people really want in Marine, should she keep it from them? Ugh, so many questions in her brain. Danny, to distract herself, has Barristan console her raging brain with the story of his escape from the usurper. I'll spare all the details here to save to say that he fought his way free, hid in rags and age, 
The interesting part, really, is that he defends Ned Stark to the young queen during the story. Danny is beset with guilt when she compares Ned Stark to one in a pack of wild dogs that tears a child apart. Her relatives that, you know, the Lannisters took apart. How is her guilt with Hesea, Hesea any different, though? She's just as guilty as Ned Stark is for the death of Hesea. She must go see the dragon kids. Her conscience is too much at this point, so she has to go see him. It's not pretty. They're chained in the dark and seemingly miserable. All of them except Drogon, who escaped three attempts to trap him and is now elsewhere, hunting, living. What sort of mother lets her children rot in darkness, she asks herself. But she knows what kind. The kind that fears her children are monsters that eat other children. I am the blood of the dragon. If they are monsters, so am I. And that's the end of the chapter. Solid reasoning. Yeah, man. Where do you want to dive in? There's some reasonable stuff here. Uh, I say let's just talk about dragons for a minute. Uh, I understand Danny wanting to learn how to be a ruler and stuff, but she's really losing the dragon advantage here, isn't she? Yeah. The dragons well, are her are her trump card. They're her force multiplier. Man, we got to stop saying the word trump. It's like at least three times already we said this word. Have we? Uh, I just no, said it a few it's, minutes it's, ago. It's like the new duty for me. Yeah. We haven't said duty in a long time. They are reasonably equivalent. Yeah. Uh, you're losing your advantage, Danny. And, you know, putting ourselves in her shoes, I get why she's doing it. She's trying so hard to be a good ruler and rule these people that do not want to be ruled. But, gosh, at what cost in the end? Is she is she trading in, you know, her her gods for a bowl of onion soup here? You know? No. It's a good question. I here here's what I'll say. <laughs> we have leaders that have kids all the time. And they're responsible for making huge decisions that affect, you know, our whole country, the world, the world over. And they raise kids at the same time. And, you know, there's a risk that they don't have enough time, really, to give the kids the attention they deserve because of these responsibilities. Sure. But the difference is... <laughs> I was going to say there's a difference there. If they don't give these kids... If Malaya and... Uh, what was her name? I can't remember her name. Uh, if If they don't get quite the attention they deserve, they don't eat other children. Or burn down cities or something yeah. like that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm, I, I want to feel for her because she's trying to do a good thing here, right? She's trying to set a city free. She's trying to learn how to, how to lead in a good way. She's uh -huh. trying to do good things here, but she has a responsibility to these children. And yeah, locking them up in a dark pit. <sighs> Letting one just wander free to do what he pleases he's a free-range dragon he's a dragon <laughs> i mean she, i i think she does but she should have an immense amount of guilt for this you know like yeah. that's her responsibility whatever he's doing out whatever he's doing that she can't see out there it's her responsibility 
didn't didn't we just get mad as, at a certain father last episode for chaining his kid up? Uh, maybe we did. Mm. <laughs> mad? <laughs> oh yeah, we totally did. And uh, it's an interesting question. We constantly talk about the worst fathers in Westeros. Is Danny one of the worst mothers in Westeros? Chaining her children in the dark, letting them wander around and kill other children? That's a reasonable question. <laughs> I mean, again, we don't need to reiterate it, but she's she's trying to do it for what she feels are good reasons. But she is. is it worth it? Is it worth it? I think is the question now. These people just do not want to be ruled. And she's in constant dispute. She's in constant dispute with them. It's just yeah. constant back and forth pushing. And we've talked about her leadership uh, in the past couple episodes, but, you know, and she finally is feeling that fury in her belly. She's Danny's fire was a, Danny's fury was a fire in her belly, you know. As Dave Matthews said, "Fools are we, if hates the gate to peace." And they hate her, and she's starting to hate them back a little bit. <laughs> yeah. This isn't going well. But then the other question is, is how do you pull out now? Like you're going to leave them worse off. Maybe if you just leave. Yeah. So. <sighs> no, I think, I think to be honest, I think she needs to stay the course. She, I, my opinion At this is point, that she, she needs to stay the course. She needs to make a few changes. At this point. Yeah. The dragon kids, mm-hmm. but she needs to stay the course and figure it out. I don't yep. know. She's got a, a lot of other, other choice. A bit of mirroring with uh, John's storyline in terms of killing the boy, right? She's 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 taken the drastic measures that she feels feels she needs to take now that she wasn't willing to do before. And yeah, it's interesting to study their parallels. You know? Yeah, you know what else is interesting? Yeesh. We can dive into the Quaith stuff in a minute, but. One of the things that I found interesting was mm-hmm. when Missandei comes in and interrupts Danny talking to Quaith or herself or whatever the hell is going on. Mm-hmm. Danny's immediate response is, I was praying. And this is interesting to me because, I mean, this book is full of different religions and characters that thrive on that religion and depend on it and use it to explain all of their decisions and. All sorts of other things. Mm-hmm. But I don't feel like we see that from Danny like, almost ever. Yeah, she's not religious. Does she have a religious side? Is there one hiding under there? Or is there just so much else going on that it's not that important to her? Because remember, the Targaryens, they kind of adopted the Seven. It feels to me, when you read the world book, it feels to me Ish. like they just kind of adopted the Seven just to kind of get along with everybody. And there were certainly, uh, I mean, you shouldn't say that for all of them, because there are certainly some Targaryens there in in the history that are very religious, Uh, you know. um, Baelor and stuff. Was it Baelor, the one that walked through the snakes and thought his faith would protect him? All all that stuff. I mean, there there are several of them that Mm -hmm. that are very religious. But from the beginning, uh, as a a start, I feel like they adopted it just to kind of get along. Sure. And I, I'm not sure Danny has any of it. Does no. she? Well, she grew up on Essos, right? So stuff like the Seven are pretty foreign yeah. to her. 
Yeah. Um, now, of course, there's other religions over where she was growing up, but you know, for so much of her life, it was just a fight to survive. Um, yeah. And every, a lot of what she learned, she learned from Viserys, and he <laughs> wasn't very religious. So, yeah, yeah, I don't think there is a religious foundation for Danny. Um, now, the element of prayer can exist in, you know, Without even though you don't, religion. you don't yeah. follow an organized religion, yeah, that yeah. idea of, of communicating with a higher power. But yeah, the yeah, idea faith of and religion the concept, are not the same, necessarily. The, the, even the concept of a higher power doesn't seem to be uh, a thing for Danny. Yeah, yeah, it's so I, I it just struck me this time. Like we don't hear that from Danny at all. And yeah, it's nice, such a, nice catch, nice catch. It's, it's such a focal point for so many characters. It's it's interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I, I mean, especially with with Mel and Stannis, there's so much discussion about. They'll never accept him. They'll never accept mm-hmm. this new god. Like they have all these customs and religions, and a bowl of onion soup isn't enough. You know, um, with Danny, what's she gonna ask for them to believe? Uh, maybe mm-hmm. not. Maybe she doesn't care. Maybe that's a maybe. It's a point in her favor. I don't know. Just it's yeah. just, it just struck me. We can move on. Yeah. Nice catch. Yeah, that's a good Thanks. one. Thanks. Uh, you you brought up Miss Ende in your chapter summary, and I'm glad you did because this hit me this time. I've always thought she was a fascinating little character. Maybe not, you know, super important to the overall story. Although she's done great things in her in her in, you know in her young age, but I, I realized a greater purpose for Miss Sande in terms of building Danny. Um, she is there, I think, especially in chapters like these where Danny's approval rating is at an all time low. Right? No one seems to like her. Yeah. Besides those closest to her, like Miss Sande. Obsequious. Oh well, Miss Sande does. Yeah. True, and Miss Sande though is there to show us and remind us, I think, constantly that Danny is making a difference, a positive difference for somebody. You know, she changed someone's life for what that someone feels is the better, and yeah. you can't deny that, right? With everything that's going wrong, she is making a difference for at least Miss Ande. And that's that's kind of comforting and cool and, and really stuck out to me this time around. I Miss Ande loves her. She doesn't even want to go back to her homeland of Noth, right? Nah. She wants to stay with yeah. her. Yeah. I agree with that sentiment, but it's also undercut in this chapter by, I think it's Eerie, uh, who says, your slave Miss Ande is crying. Uh-huh. And Danny says, I, ha- I have no slave, she's my servant. No, no, not a slave, not a slave. No. Not a slave, not a slave, it's my servant. It's it's undercut a little bit by the fact of, like, what's the difference? You, right. like, like, to Danny, there's a very important difference. These people are free, they can leave at any time. Mm-hmm. They don't feel, though, a lot of them, I think, that they have... Miss Andy's maybe a different case. Miss, Miss Andy very much is attached to Danny and believes in her and loves her. But a lot of these people, just like she talks about, you know, these other now freed slaves in marine they don't have a whole lot of choices some of them choose to sell themselves back into slavery because they don't they can't do anything else like the unsullied what are they gonna do they're soldiers like they're they're gonna stay with her and they're gonna behave basically like slaves and Mm -hmm. so to danny it's a very important difference but behavior wise it's not that different yeah especially to the public as a whole because they don't get to see their queen comforting her little servant girl right and and laying with her and talking about her family 
and really making a very motherly connection. They don't get yeah. to see that. And and that's the difference to Danny from slave to servant or yeah. slave to whatever she considers Miss Ende to be. Um, yeah. And it, it's just fascinating and, and is, is uh, enlightening too, in terms of who Danny is. Yep. Yep. Uh, dude, I kind of hate Quaith. Just freaking tell her, dude. I've kind of always hated Quaith. Uh, it feels like Deus Ex Machina plot device crap. Uh huh. And I, I don't know who she is, and we'll probably talk about more more about it in Davos After Dark. But <sighs> I'm so sick of it. We need to introduce her to Obi Wan Kenobi. You will go to the Dagobah system. There yeah. you will learn from Yoda, the Jedi Master yeah. who instructed me. <laughs> like, Let's get some motherfucking specifics in here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Oh. Maybe we'll talk about her a little bit uh, later. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, what else do I got here? Um, Resnak is a traitor, or I'm a trapeze artist. <laughs> And I'm like not, him. guys, because I'm 250 pounds. Uh, no, yeah, he just—he always seems like he's—he's he's just stammering and going, oh, "Yeah, uh, the yeah, the wealthy. Well, they just don't know that." Like he's always defending the wealthy Marinese. Feels like to me. I just don't trust this guy at all. And I don't. You, this is not a spoiler because I don't remember what what he does in the future. I don't. I I literally do not remember what this guy does. I've said before, mm-hmm. all these Z's and K's, like, they mix up in my brain, and I don't remember what these characters do, some of them. And he's one of them. I don't remember. But I don't right. trust him. I don't think you're wrong in that mistrust, and I'm not revealing spoilers either. You just, yeah, I agree with you. Uh, I don't have anything else. I have one more small thing. Okay. Two, two more, one small thing, one tiny thing. Okay. The small thing is this. Uh... Danny says, after Jorah's tale about escaping and, and defending Ned uh, to her, Danny says, Lannister or Stark, what di- what's the difference? Mm. And it, it's just, I don't know whether George meant to do this or not. He probably did. But uh, it just shows really how out of touch she is with everything at home. Yeah. She and, has and this idea really of Westeros. No, no, no. I'm not blaming her. I'm just like, yeah. She has no clue what she's getting into. Mm-hmm. No, no knowledge at all. Which, which, if you go back to the Tyrion discussions we've had, like maybe he could help there and inform yep. on some of the culture and going. That's on what he like, said. Yeah, that's so, what he told Griff. Yeah. Just, I, I think it. I think it underscores that point. She has. She is in. in she is in extreme need of some guidance here on what the real political situation is in Westeros, because Lannister or Stark, what difference is a naive thing to say. Yep. Yep. Okay, the last thing I have is just in in relation to the episode title, Heavy Lies the Crown. Mm-hmm. Um, Metallica has a reasonably recent album, uh, and one of the songs is Atlas Rise, and the lyrics go, Heavy is the crown, beaten down and broken, drama wears you down and i feel like this applies to all four kings in this episode which is why i chose the episode title um that heavy lies the crown 
Thank you, Mr. Hetfield, for your enlightening thoughts. Uh, If only I were as great as Mr. Hetfield. I love James Hetfield so freaking much. We've talked about this. He's just a cool guy. I really like him. (laughs) I think so. Metallica is my favorite band, and we'll probably lose listeners over this confession that that Metallica is my favorite band, but they are. Uh, But I think you like Hetfield more than me. I think I like Hetfield more than all of Metallica. I just really like you. James Hetfield. I find him to be a really just articulate personality. Uh, besides being a, a wonderful, understated musician and uh, lyricist as well, and he just exudes coolness and stuff to me beyond the normal "quote unquote" rock star type. You know, yeah, just a cool guy. And not not that this is a Metallica podcast now, but I like Hammett. Ham Hammett is my MVP for Metallica because he's he brilliant. Just feels like a, a well, I mean. A, he's a fantastic guitarist. Uh, yeah. You know, probably like if you look at their music, really, and the complexity of their music, he's the MVP of the musical component. I don't, I don't want to judge like the lyrics and everything like that, but musically, he's got the hardest job, and he's fucking phenomenal. But also, I don't know like, he's got the he hardest job, of... but he's he's the one that. All right, all right. You, you're more informed than I, I am, so. Mr. Music Man. But I feel like he does it exceptionally. And mm-hmm. I agree. Also, he feels he just kind of feels more stable than the rest of them. Just like he's all he's a rock. I just feel like Hammett is a rock in terms anyway. of the music and everything and just showing up and doing his job. And, yeah. Yes. Yeah. All of it. Yeah. Yep. OK. Should we go all to right. Reek before we get? To let's anything? go to Reek. Yeah, let's do it. You ready? Uh, yep. Reek it rounds bleak. Reek it rounds bleak. Flayed fingers, hunger lingers. Reek it rounds meek. Reek it rounds with sleek. Reek has caught a rat, and eating it alive makes him more content than he's been in a while. But then boots on stone. They are coming. He'll get in trouble for eating this rat, and he's terrified. Guys, guys, I want to stop the summary for just a minute. I, I want to remind you. That this is a person voluntarily eating a live rat. And this isn't his biggest problem. His biggest problem is the terror he has of boots on stone. I just want to remind everyone. We're in for some fucked up shit right here. And that fucked up shit goes by the name of Ramsey Bolton. So Reek here has not eaten in days. Arms and legs thin, belly so empty he can't sleep, and when he can... And when he can sleep, the rats nibble at him. They actually eat him. He's missing teeth, three fingers, four toes. But the boots he heard belong to two boys named Walder. We've seen them before, the Walder phrase. They stop at Reek's cell, open it, blinding him with the light, and mock the state he's in before holding their noses and asking him his name. An easy question, one would think. But Reek has been taught a new name. Giving his old name would mean punishment, perhaps... Another finger. One of the boys, though, fills in the blank, helpfully. Reek is your name. My name is Reek. Rhymes with Leek. These Walders are eight years old. He considers overpowering them and escaping, but fears it's a trick. Ramsey did things like that, luring him to escape previously and hunting him through the forest. The punishment when he was caught was not pleasant. Reek is taken out of the cells by the Walder phrase. Walder phrase. 
before Lord Ramsay in a great hall with powerful smells of real, non-rat-based food. There are men Reek recognizes, and men he doesn't. New men, guests, lords, actually. Reek is introduced to these men as Ramsay's companion since childhood. And the reader is forced to recall that Ramsay had a Reek before. Killed. He is now just substituting this Reek for that one. Simple as that for Ramsay. But these lords are no fools. Stark's ward, they note. Can it be? It can. And it is. Cue music. His daddy lost the war, so he's living in the north. Now his son was stuck between being a kraken and a wolf. Is the young Greyjoy with a smile so slow, put an arrow through your eye? Is the young Greyjoy make a lady scream and a wonder be a king? Is the young Greyjoy loyalty speaks, but there's something there that rings? Is the young Greyjoy? It's been a while. It's been a while. Right. That's been a while. It has been a while. Theon Greyjoy, reduced to this rubble of a human, by torturing through flaying the skin, starving him and engaging in mental warfare, this once cocky and cocksure boy on the cusp of manhood has been reduced to this rubble of a human known as Reek. One of the lords asks that they just kill Theon, get him out of the way, but Ramsay has some purpose in mind, and promises mm. to clean Reek up and have him attend at his wedding. His wedding? What? Yes. Ramsay's getting married. The intended bride, Arya Stark. <gasps> End chapter. But wait, she's not in Westeros, is she? Pshaw. Who knows, Pshaw? <sighs> oh man, so uh, this chapter, while on a first read, maybe on a second read, very interesting it's there's really not a whole lot there Mm -hmm. i don't know if you disagree no i mean it's a uh i was about to say fun and it's not fun at all no you are a sadistic bastard i am as bad as ramsey i am ramsey (laughs) it is a shocking maybe reintroduction to a character uh, it is a shocking reintroduction to a character, and if if you if you paid really close attention, you might not have been surprised. Uh, I didn't, for sure, on my first read. Um, I did not know who this was. I don't remember when I figured it out. The hints, you know, there are some hints in there, but um, <sighs> if you paid attention in the earlier books, there are things that tell you that this is Theon. There's a John chapter in in ASOS that tells you that Theon is being flayed alive by Ramsay. You know, and it's maybe hearsay, so it's not necessarily right. there's absolute also, evidence. Yeah, there's stuff that say John's dead, or, or Theon's dead, you know. It's, is there? I don't know that. No. Uh, there, there's, there's also a, a Cat chapter where Roos convinces Cat and Rob to spare Theon. Mm-hmm. And, like, like they know he's captured. And he's convincing them to spare him until the Seastone Chair succession stuff is resolved. And so there are some hints in there that, that kind of indicate, oh yeah, you know, like he's a prisoner there. It's probably him. But you don't know for sure. Absolutely. And and in this state. Yeah. It it's it's the state that's maybe shocking. Like why would you treat why would you treat someone like Theon in this way, right? 
Mm-hmm. You know, he's he, you, usually you treat noble captives in a much more efficient way. That the, mm-hmm. they're valuable, right, and will be ransomed. So it, it's surprising. But the, and and in the same, but on the other side of the coin, you think of like Lady uh, Hornwood, who was who yeah, Ramsay locked up in fingers. a tower and forgot about her, and she died. You know, and they found her with her fingers eaten off. Yeah, it's ugh. And similar, but but Theon supposedly, well, Lady Hornwood had some value with some land directly she was tied to, but Theon yeah, she is was maybe even more important. The Lord of, you know, the Lord of the Iron Islands' only son. Yeah, right. Uh, yeah. Only remaining son, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. <clears throat> but anyway, yeah, the, the, the clues are there uh, that it's him, but I, I certainly didn't know. Uh, and I tried to play that out in my summary as well. Hopefully it was enjoyable with my... Uh, Stupid, terrible rap at the beginning. You're better than some of the guys out there. None of them. Mm. Eh. Mm. Eh. What's so, that one song from a few years ago? I'm fly because I'm hot. Or no, I'm hot because I'm fly. You ain't because you not. This is why. This is why. This is why I'm hot. The absolute dumbest line in the history of music is that right um, there. And that guy I'm sorry that you've remembered it. How could I forget something so terrible? It's as bad as as Theon's situation right now. You know, I, <laughs> that song I was is the equivalent of Theon being locked in a cell like that. <laughs> I was listening to an episode of Westeros Whateverly this week. Uh, hey Tana, hey Dave, hey Tana, and, and uh, they were they were talking about Chocolate Rain, and I was like, that guy has made millions of dollars probably through youtube listens uh, probably not maybe not millions but thousands for sure mm-hmm. of dollars from this chocolate rain song and then i on a whim i played it for for uh for mary my son and he loved it he's like, he was like oh, what is this he's like I'm all he into it <laughs> yeah of course he did <laughs> chocolate rain <laughs> anyway <laughs> yeah there's lots there's lots of music out there and now my rap is out there. Uh so I I guess maybe the most interesting thing about this is the torture component with with Theon. Um you know the most intriguing thing to me about it is taking his name away. Mm-hmm. He takes we, we've seen this with Arya before and how important a name is. You know, Arya goes through all of these names and still kind of throughout tries to maintain her identity. We've talked about that before on this podcast. And, um, you know, they've, they've taken his name away. Yeah. Which is, which is an extension of kind of, you know, kind of what the Starks try to do to him too. Um, to, you know, to the, to the point where he's accepted it too. Yes. Right. There's some guys you read about him and they're like, they can't take me. Oh, they can't take away my identity and stuff like that. These guys that are in captivity and everything. Yeah. You know that I am Jean Valjean and everything, but uh, mm-hmm. Theon is not Theon anymore to himself. And yep. Yeah, that really shows the depths that he's been beaten down. Yeah. And even them sending uh, the phrase to pick him up, he mentioned that they're eight years old, and Ramsay didn't send them because he didn't have anybody else to send. He could have sent anybody to fetch Theon. He yep. sent those boys for a reason. Uh, and part of that reason was to show Theon that he knows that even eight-year-old boys 
won't won't uh you know strengthen theon and and give him courage or whatever or give him hope that he could overcome them yeah no don't even care i'll still come even if i'm being led by eight-year-olds i think if i were theon i would have killed the eight-year-olds and then killed myself with the the kid's knife (laughs) god i hate the walder phrase they're such little fucking douches yeah oh at that point yeah do you even want to live anymore oh Oh, no, uh, at oh, that gosh. point, no. Yeah, I mean, there's promise for the future, though. Right. He's gonna get scrubbed up and yeah. be a part of the wedding, and you're down a few well, digits, but hey, you're still around, you know. Yeah, a few. most of your teeth. Yeah. It sounds like. Yeah, may- maybe most of the teeth. Uh, what was it? Four, uh, three fingers, four toes. Yeah, and uh, not and and Ramsey didn't just like have him spread out his fingers and then chop one of them off as it says in the chapter he flayed the skin off theon's fingers and then and makes them beg to remove the finger to stop yeah. the pain yeah i well, was I don't, I don't i don't i don't i don't want to take this podcast into that dark territory it's just disgusting it is it's uh, i i just i can't even well i i, I was i have nothing to add i was mowing my lawn this week oh, no. and yeah, for the first time did the first and last probably lawn mow since we're moving uh in this house and of the year and uh as i was mowing and i you know i had these chapters in my head because we were studying them and everything and i as i turned a corner with the mower my arm just kind of scraped against our fence our wooden fence and just barely broke the skin you know but scraped it pretty good and I was just like, ow, it kind of hurts. And, and you know, the next few rows of mowing, you, the next few minutes, you feel that. And it's just kind of constantly there and it kind of hurts. And I started, I, my mind went to Theon and went, can you imagine having the skin actually removed and then dealing with it? Oh, man. I mean, that bugged me to the point that I was like, son of a, that hurts, dang it. And and I had something to keep my mind off it. You know, I was mowing the lawn and everything. Theon just, you sit there with it. You sit in a dark cell with your festering, skinless finger. Ugh. Blood Riders, you heard it here first. This is the only podcast where someone will compare a minor abrasion from a fence to having their fingers flayed. Well yep. done, Matt. I <laughs> We am... are pampered humans. No, I suffer, <laughs> Scott. I suffer every day of my life. Oh, man. I'm making the point that if that hurts, can you imagine the flaying? No, I get the point. Right. I'm putting it into terms that I can understand because I can't right. even fathom it. Yeah, true. Uh, do but we want to yes, talk about the two lords? Every day I suffer. Do you want to talk about the two lords in attendance? We certainly could. I don't know if there's too much to say at this point other than to identify them and perhaps point out why they're there. The fact that they're there is being a little strange. So the two lords are, with a little deduction you can figure it out, uh, Arnulf Karstark and Hawther Umber. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, just just kind of a quick history, you probably remember, but Rob took Lord Karstark's head after Karstark killed some Lannister kids. Mm -hmm. Um executed him but beheaded him uh and lord karstark's son harrion is held captive and so arnulf at the moment is the castellan of 
the Karstark uh, lands. Carhold. Carhold, that's right. And he's actually, we know from previous chapters, the only person that's responded to Stannis' letters has pledged himself to Stannis. So his presence here is a little weird. Mm-hmm. It's a little odd. Now, Carhold isn't very far away from the Dreadfort. It right. It just Not... be like a little neighborhood get-together or something. Right, but we Block know party. at this point, we know at this point, though, that the Boltons are in bed with the Lannisters. And if Boltons the Karstarks are, are in bed yep. with Stannis... That wouldn't be a very mm-hmm. comfortable reunion, but still, it's not totally weird, as the Lannisters do hold Arnolf's great-nephew, Car- Harrion, that I mm-hmm. talked about before, so he kind of needs to like pay homage and be respectful, so it's not totally weird that he's there, but still, to me, a little rankling that he's there. I'm like, what's going on? Um, then our umber that? is... Uh, no, our umber is kind of in the, the same spot, right? Similar spot, yeah. Also, uh, not terribly far from yep. from uh, the Dreadfort. Also, the Castellan of uh, Last Hearth right now. Yeah, kind of a co-Castel Castellan uh, with with uh, uh, its uh, uh, who is it? Moors Moors Umber. Mm-hmm. And uh, but we've it, got... but the small the small John is dead. The Great John is imprisoned again. Kind of similar with with Harry and Karstark. The Great John, the the person that really is their lord, is imprisoned by by the bolton fray lannisters alliance yep that yeah at the from the red wedding so also odd so he's he's basically one of the two men in charge at that last hearth um and again kind of probably just playing along with the phrase to you know to keep his his nephew the great john safe i suppose yeah we don't we don't know much else playing nice Mm-hmm. Yeah, playing nice, kind of giving homage, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Uh, I did. I did do just before we move on. I did do a, a quick exploration of the timeline. Um, yeah. If you guys don't know, there's a great timeline out there that kind of, jeez, man, the time they must have spent on this thing. It breaks down everything, like every event that happens, and like what date they think it happened on, and. Theon in this chapter is is kind of guessing how long he's been there. Uh, he says half a year at one point, and then he's like, maybe it's been lots of years, and these are the sons of the maybe Walder these phrase are yeah the kids yeah, of the like, Walder phrase. Imagine being so mentally broken that you can't even separate six months from sixteen years or something, yeah, right? A generation like, almost, yeah, yeah, it's crazy. Anyway, uh, according to the timeline. I'll just call it the timeline. It's more like five months around yeah. uh, the Almost 30th of September. Year. Yeah, yeah, the 30th of September, 299 to February 20th of 300 is is what the timeline guesses. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, closer to five months. Yeah, that's all I got for this chapter. To be honest, there isn't much there. I don't think. No, nope. rat meat is good. I'm tortured. There's new people here. I'm if... going to a wedding. If you're That's missing teeth, you know, and you're eating a rat hole, just beware the bones might get stuck and your teeth. Oh, are that was horrible. You know, oh, I'm like, oh, that would be mind. so. Ugh. The hair is what gets me, man. The hair. Oh, the the bones in the tooth sockets is what gets yeah. me. It's like, do you have a new tooth now? Somebody else's bone in your tooth socket. 
Gross. All right, Kraken's daughter. Kraken's daughter. And uh, if you hear rustling of papers, this was a first for me. I wrote out, I hand wrote my chapter summary. Why? I was, uh, we were staying the night at my parents' house because we had some work going on here at my home one night. And I had my iPad with me and I was planning on, I've got a little uh, Bluetooth keyboard. And I was going to type up my chapter summary there. And uh, the Bluetooth had run out of battery or something. I hadn't charged it in a while. So I was like, oh, I can't write my chapter summary. And I was like, yeah, I got to do it. I just got to get it done. It's like the one night I have free to do it. So I pulled out a notebook and a pen. And here it is. I'm excited. It's probably a little more brief than I might have been just because I didn't want to write crap out. <laughs> the laziness sets in. <laughs> this is the same guy, you know, that's comparing a minor skin abrasion to flayed fingers. And now that's right. I'm that's right. You can't handle writing a few sentences. Writing a, a page front and back and then half of another page. So, boy, Matt, you are made to suffer, my friend. These last two weeks have been difficult for you. Kraken's daughter. You went on. I really don't. It's. I'm barely here, man. I'm barely here. Uh, cue new music. Your smile could make the stars collide. Stars collide. Stars collide. Kraken's daughter, catch the tide. Catch the tide. Yeah, catch the tide. Daddy loves you best because you're by his side. By his side. By his side. Youngest and a lady, but she'll always hold her steady because she's actually great joy. Take you for a ride. So, remember Asha? Uh, that's the gal, you know, let her Ooh. brother let her brother flirt with her just to embarrass him. Uh, seems flirt? Be... That's really light. You're <laughs> letting him get away light. <laughs> uh, daddy's favorite. Uh, shattering Iron Island gender roles, etc., etc. Yeah, Asha. Remember her. Well, guess who's back? Back again. Uh, Asha's returned after conquering Deepwood Mott. It's that's a castle on the the western coast of uh, the north, but she hasn't gone to Pike even after learning her father had died there. Instead, she's gone to Harlaw, which is another island on the Iron Islands that's ruled by her uncle Roderick Harlaw. Ten Towers, the seat of Harlaw, is a place full of memories for Asha. She loved being there as a child more than anywhere else among the books of Uncle Roderick, who everyone calls affectionately Roderick the Reader. For his love of the printed word, which is an uncommon hobby, to say the least, among the Ironborn. Uh, and although Asha's mother, Alanis, is also at Ten Towers, Asha, after setting up her men with some dinner, goes straight to her uncle, who she finds, you guessed it, reading. <clears throat> they catch up for a bit, and it's obvious they share a pretty special bond. Uh, but let's get to the good stuff. Where are all the freaking ships? Asha asks. Turns out she'd sent word ahead of her arrival to Roderick, asking him to call all the captains he could to rally to Asha and support her claim to the Seastone Chair to take her father's place. She feels it's rightfully hers after Theon's supposed death. Tragically, however, not many have answered the call about two score ships and most of them Harlaw Bannermen, who probably felt like they had to because Roderick was their liege lord. Uh, not no one from any of the other islands except the Botleys. So more on the Botleys later. And to complicate things, Asha's uncle Euron returned in force the day after Balon's death and his making his own claim. 
Uh, and as he, as we learned from Aaron's chapter, has the men, the ships, and most importantly, the creepiness to go places. But wait, wait, haven't you heard, Asha? This ain't no normal secession going on. Uh, Aaron's gone all out and called for a king's moot. Ironborn captains are going to vote on the next Seastone chair sitter, just like in old times. Asha's pretty stoked about this, actually. She's popular. She stands a chance. And it's better than war. Roderick does not share her optimistic appraisal of the situation, however. For one, the last King's Moot did not go so peacefully. It turned into a bloodbath as Euron of Orkmont took the chair by force. And Euron seems like the type who wouldn't shy away from doing the same thing. And also, as much as Roderick hates to admit it, Asha's a girl. No one, when not persuaded by their liege lord, is going to vote for a girl to sit the sea stone chair. I'm saying it like my four-year-old son says it. Uh, and in a king's moot, every captain is equal. No one has to vote one way or the other out of allegiance to a liege lord or something like that. Every captain casts their vote for who they want. But no fight is hopeless until it has been fought. Asher retorts optimistically, saying that if she doesn't go, she'll spend the rest of her life wondering what might have been if she had. Roderick counters with a pretty decent offer. Um, both of his sons had died in the Greyjoy Rebellion. So stay, he says, and he will name her heir to ten towers. Not bad. But Asha refuses, intent on sitting the seastone chair like her father before her. They essentially agree to disagree, and Asha takes her leave. Uh, on her way out, already making plans for the king's moot and thinking about her doting crew, she encounters an old friend, Christopher Botley. Uh, Triss and Asha have a bit of a history, going back to when uh, they were both youngsters together. They had a tiny little thing going, a bit of innocent history, some heavy petting, and Asha was kind of counting on that history, um, going into the king's moot, actually. Uh, with with what she'd heard was Triss being kind of the head man in charge of the Botleys. But that hope was dashed pretty quickly, though, when Triss reveals that he is now Lord Botley, but that his lands were taken by Euron and given to another. Now, Euron, his holds overflowing with treasure after three years at sea, has been buying a lot of new friends, it turns out. And uh, really, House Botley now has nothing to offer them. And really, neither in a practical sense does Triss, Asha concludes. Even if he's obviously interested in her, and she has to admit he's not looking all that bad himself these days. But when Triss makes his move, swearing that he'd saved himself just for her, and that they were meant to be, oh my gosh, Asha's had enough. A dead man, a dead dad, a crazy mom, an uncle who's just an absolute nightmare. She's had it. So pulling her dirk and holding it to his throat, she warns, I am your queen, not your wife. Remember that. And that's the end of the chapter. Remember that about Asha. She ain't nobody's wife. Okay. She's not playing at all. Mm -hmm. um, and it's indicative of her strategy that she's not playing. She sounds, in the discussion she's had with Roderick, mm -hmm. very informed very enlightened about the path of the ironborn going forward she yeah she's definitely um not holding to the old way right yeah it's i mean oh man like you 
this is not the old way is not a way that will work long term. It's just not sustainable. It's not sustainable. And I it mean, hasn't been for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm I mean it's almost to the point where it's surprising it ever was sustainable. Mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, the old way indicates you have to go away from your land to raid other lands. Well, when you go away from your land to raid other lands, guess what? Someone can come take your land. Mm -hmm. And and I think they kind of counted on the fact that nobody really wants the Iron wants it. <laughs> Maybe yeah, Maybe yeah. years and years ago before they completely stripped it of pretty much all its natural resources. But the Iron Islands really doesn't have much going for it these no, days. No, they suck. Yeah, Robert came after them when they rebelled, and other than that, and then left quickly, out of sight, out of mind. It's yeah, yep. it's just not working. Yeah, no, but still, I'd say uh, you know Asha's vision is, uh, you know, she seems like a leader to me. Yeah. She seems she she gives orders directly. She doesn't take shit from people that are her underlings. She has seemingly a reasonable path. For the Ironborn going ahead, I I like her. Me too. I mean, you're not gonna get that far in the Ironborn culture, running a ship and stuff, without having good leadership qualities. And she shows some of that uh, that side, perhaps that we're not seeing of uh, that we talked about not seeing from John. Some of that empathy, where she's like, "My men need to be fed." And what was three tooth or one tooth or whatever she is now is like, oh, I got some crap back here. And she's like, no, 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 no. Mustard. You're going to give mustard. them something They nice. can eat mustard. No, 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 no. You're going to give them something good to eat. And uh, yeah, it's it's a quality that, uh, that she seems really cool to have. Yeah. And, and you don't get to that point where she is as a woman in that type of society without having a certain type of personality. And also a certain amount of uh, flexibility in terms of your thought and everything and not being like her father and being open yeah. to different ideas and different solutions and thinking outside the box. So I I really like Asha. She's one of my I favorite too. characters. It's yeah. a pity we don't get more from her more immediately. Mm -hmm. uh, top 10 name in the series for me, Carl yeah. the Maid. <laughs> Carl, it, it wouldn't Carl be. with the would, Q. Yeah, it would not be a top 10 name for me if not for the Q. If it mm -hmm. were K-A-R-L, you know, or C-A-R-L. Then no. you're just Carl. Carl the Maid. Carl the Maid. It's a good yeah. name. Especially in the Ironborn culture. Yeah. You wouldn't want yeah, to be the yeah. Maid. Yeah, who would want to be? But he <laughs> is. I, I, I want to hear more. Tell me more. I would like to subscribe to your news newsletter. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Oh, fun little thing. Hmm. Um, Archmaester Rigney, who's just brought up this one time in this chapter, Roderick says that he wrote that history is a wheel. Remember oh, that geez. part? Mm-hmm. Guess whose real name is James Rigney Jr.? I, I, uh, I, what? Robert Jordan, who wrote Wheel of Time uh, series. Wow. So another little shout out to uh to Robert Jordan here in this chapter. That's too from much. Durham. That's that's just too clever. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Uh, that makes me that makes me feel like the whole uh Wheel of Time thing is not that important, which 
I think I brought up in our, our dad notes, so I'm, I'm I feel better about that now. <laughs> the history is a wheel. Yeah, it just yep, keeps the turning. The history is a wheel thing. Mm-hmm. It's it's true in some respects, but it. I hope it's not the main point of the series. Yeah. So what did you like about, uh, or, or did you like Roderick's plan that Asha seems to consider and maybe identify and agree with, uh, that plan of taking a side, either choosing Stannis or, or he says still Tywin, which shows how slow maybe news travels to the Iron Islands. He doesn't know Tywin is dead. Uh, but play, taking a side, helping that side win, and using the spoils of victory as kind of a foundation upon which to rebuild the Ironborn. I like it. Seems like a, seems like a good plan. They should they should make Roderick the leader uh, because mm-hmm. Asha's too focused on becoming the leader to make anything happen. Right. Uh, yeah. No. It seems good. I mean, look. In the end, your Asha says something in the chapter about about a third path, and yes. yeah, I don't know what that third path is necessarily, but mm-hmm. you've got to be ruled and you've got to expand and that. I made this argument fucking 30 episodes of Davos Fingers ago. What is the Ironborn goal? Right. Like, when 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 Theon went to invade Winterfell, I'm like, what are you doing? Like, you don't... Your culture doesn't value land that way. You don't value goats and farming and these mm-hmm. things. Like, why bother? It seems like they're a culture that should just do what they do and stick to the Iron Islands because... They don't value the other stuff. So it's a little confusing. But they can't because they can't sustain themselves on just the Iron Islands. They don't have the resources to. And so their thought is just, we'll take, 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 take. But then what? Yeah, to your point. Take, they take, take is a means. That's, that's not a goal. Your goal can't be to take things. You take things maybe to achieve a certain goal. But taking is an, is an action. Here's the problem. Leading yeah, up to taking, it. taking is an action. The problem is that if you're going to take land uh, and sustain it, mm-hmm. you require a culture to maintain it. You, sure. have to, you have to ingrain your culture in the land that you're taking to the point where it becomes yours somewhat, uh, you know, regularly. Somewhat, mm-hmm. um, you, know, you know, by by breeding your culture in, it becomes yours the point where loyalty is there and it's it's normal they don't have a culture no well other other than than (laughs) reaving and taking there's no substantiated farming or establishing or regular culture with the i think this is the whole problem i have with the ironborn a lot of people love the ironborn i just i can't stomach it because it's not sustainable there's nothing there well eventually you're just gonna go back to the iron islands because there's nothing there you can't extend your supply lines to the honey wine and actually make it because you have no culture to establish there. Well, that's, that's, that's to your point or to your point, I would add that they're not interested in establishing colonies or going out like, you know, the British or the French or whatever, and building all these colonies around the world. They're not interested in staying at these places. They reeve and then they go, they reeve and then they go and that's it. And that's just to your point. What does that lead to? It leads to nothing. Nothing. Because when it you, leads to a good time, you you take something, and then what do you do after that? Well, you 
exhaust whatever you took and then what do you do then well i go out and yeah. get more of it okay yep. why and then you exhaust it and you come back so that i can go get more later well why what is it in uh in uh independence day like locusts they move right. from planet to planet just taking sucking all the natural yeah. resources yeah. yeah right yep anyway uh, I did. I did come up with uh, a word of the day. Oh, fun! You want it? I, I definitely want it more than I've ever wanted anything. Well, that's not true. You're just you're just baiting me now. I am. So this better be yeah. good. Yeah, it's pretty good. It's it's <laughs> you know it's it. like it's like top ten. Okay. I feel like okay. I've done twelve of them now, so it's probably top ten. <laughs> word of the day. Yeah. Uh. Tristiford. Okay. Spelled T R Y S T I F E R E D. Uh-huh, like I Trist. See. Yeah. You have had many secret meetings where you fondled each other, and uh-huh. clearly you were both in love. But why does this person not see it the same way you do? I was waiting for you! And you just moved on! How could you? Tristiford. Tristiford. Yeah. So did Tris did Christopher Christopher Asha or did Asha Christopher Christopher? Asha Christopher Christopher. Cuz she kind of got bored. Yeah. She was like yeah. I really liked you, dude. I really did. We could have had something special, but you didn't make your move, man. Tris was Christopher though. He he felt mm-hmm. like there was something there. Yeah. And she just moved on and didn't see it the same way. Right, because to him, you know, this was real, so they could take their time, you yeah. know? Yeah. And Ash was like, no, I don't want these breaches to come off, buddy. <laughs> and who doesn't? Right? Uh, <laughs> oh, good old Ash. A, uh, a reasonable amount of time is spent uh, talking about uh, Ash, Ash's mom. Uh-huh. Isn't it ironic that Alanis? I do think. I really do think <laughs> that Alanis survived and Balon perished. A little too ironic. You're really too quick. Yeah, uh, it is. She she seems uh, a like. Why isn't she with Balon? Uh huh. She, she's on Harlaw instead of with her husband. It, uh, you know, Asha kind of alludes to the fact that perhaps their relationship wasn't super sunny all the time. But if, still, if ever. Well, yeah, maybe if ever. Uh, I mean, they certainly sired a number of offspring, so it was okay at some point. But, uh, yeah, man, this, this Alana, she's, she just seems done. broken. Broken. Yeah, she's done. Yeah, I don't. I don't know if you, I don't know if you saw Manchester by the Sea this year. No, um, not yet. But it's just it's just an excellent look at broken people. Mm. The character, the, the the main character in that film is just a broken person. I feel like Alanis is the same way. She's just she's just broken in a way that she'll never recover. And even Roderick, he says she's she's better. She'll maybe outlive us all, but she's not even living really. Yeah, she's just she's kind of breathing. Alive. Oh. Yeah, and uh, and 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 here here's where here's where I thought about this. There's so much, and I saw this with Song of Madness this year too. Uh, so last year also, 
people hate cats so much. Mm-hmm. Some of them. But 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 look at Alanis, because this is what can happen to broken people. Cat is a broken person. Catelyn is broken when she finds that. out about Bran and Rickon. Yeah. Ned is gone. Bran and Rickon are gone. Who knows where Sansa and Arya are? Who knows where Sansa and Arya are? She's broken. She is basically broken. Rob isn't listening to her anymore. Like, she's broken. And this is what can happen to broken people. They can just stare out a window at the ocean and do nothing. At least Cat is functioning. Like, I, I don't know, I have a lot of respect for Cat, and a, a lot of people don't, but... Mm-hmm. She's we broken should... in a way that she 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 still pushes on and Alanis here she's worthless yeah and and either way you know if you, you feel terrible for him but Catelyn oh, yeah. really did have a, a very tender relationship with Eddard and you know we don't we don't get to see the inner workings of the Balon Alanis marriage but I kind of get the feeling knowing of what we know of Balon and knowing what we know of the Ironborn culture as a whole that I think it feels like marriages in general are not that warm <laughs> yeah uh, well I mean the very nature of the fact that they have salt wives right sure oh yeah good point yeah. that yeah that idea of one wife isn't you're exclusively with this one person is 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 not even a thing for them. And I imagine that Alanis, all she had were her kids. Uh, that's what it came down to with Kat, too. Yeah. And once they started going, what else is there? Yeah, she's head over her feet for her kids, for sure. And uh, beyond that, yeah, she's looking out at the ocean. And she, you know, and, and you mentioned why is she not with Balon. Three of her sons died following Balon. That's true enough. Right? And, yep. well, well... Two of them died directly in the Greyjoy Rebellion, and the third one, you know... Died trying to impress him, or right. she thinks died, at least. Well, and is sent away as a direct result of Balon's Rebellion and him losing, you know, because he lost, she loses Theon. So she loses yeah. to her even maybe more than what Balon lost. He lost a rebellion, she lost three sons because of it, and one, a young boy, nine or ten or whatever, when he was taken to Winterfell. Yep. And now she's in that, and not only that, but she's got a girl left and that girl is is out reaving and Yeah, I mean, she's in the culture. Her yep. dad did, yeah. yeah. And Yeah. Yeah. Poor Alanis. Poor Alanis. Again, getting into the heads of these characters I think reveals some really fascinating nuggets when you look at what they're experiencing. That's kind of a theme for us today, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, this whole getting in the heads and empathizing with these characters. It's fascinating. I think it's the best way to look at these guys. It's the best way to look at any character. Yep. Love it. Uh, well, let's finish off with another doozy, shall we? Cersei. Yep. Cue music. Alluring eyes can get the guys with promises, lies, then cast aside. Can't she be the man she thinks her family needs? One brother she hates, with the other she mates. Those debts can she repay, Cersei Lannister. Cersei is prepping for another wedding, and her mood is stormy. Tommen is set to marry Joffrey's, or Renly's, widow. And... Man, it's too soon. Too dangerous and just too icky. 
God, does she hate the Tyrells? But she needs them. Tommen needs them. There are Krakens still about. Stannis is still a threat. And the Riverlands are still holding on by the fingernails to their descent. Still, Jamie, bearded and in white, he actually has a good, well, maybe even great and thorough plan to protect Tommen at the wedding. What doesn't help Cersei's mood, really? She has this whole prophecy problem where she fears for all of her children's lives, like all the time. All the time. She isn't even just worried about the wedding, but worried about after the wedding. See, the young Tommen will be sharing his bed with Marjorie, but guys, he's nine. He's nine years old. There won't be any consummating, and seriously, did I mention the trust issues yet? She she just totes wants Jamie in the room. Just, Jamie, just stay in the room. Anyway, she's also going to burn down the Tower of the Hand. Yeah, that's a thing. That at least gets her a little excited. Yeah, she just doesn't trust that building either. Did I mention trust issues? There are secret passageways everywhere. Tyrion could be in any one of them. Burn it down! She wants to build a new, brand new spiffy castle away from King's Landing anyway. Anyway, the wedding. The wedding itself, it's small. 100 people, simple reception. Nothing to see here really to say, save to say, except that Cersei has a wretched time the whole time. She's just unhappy for the whole sequence. It's awful. There's a little bit of news sprinkled in, though. Kevin is leaving to see Lancel, his son, wed. Uh, the Hound may or may not have joined up with the Brotherhood without banners. Reports vary. Uh, the whole Tyrell clan is indeed leaving the city on the morrow after the wedding. Minus Marjorie, of course, and a few guards and friends. In the middle of the reception, Tommen chokes on some wine. Seriously, <laughs> just freaks out. After realizing that he's okay, she excuses herself from the festivities, but is followed by Lady Merriweather. Now, you may remember her, Lady Merriweather. She was a woman Cersei kind of latched onto a bit at her father's funeral. One she thought had promise, was uh, willing to try to gain for herself. Anyway, Merriweather tells Cersei that her maid is a Marjorie informant. She claims that she is conflicted in telling Cersei this, because she's married to a Tyrell Bannerman, but also that she's just trying to look out for the best for her family. That telling Cersei might be, you know, the best thing for her family. Cersei promises rewards if she confirm, confirm the rumors. Going back into the wedding, surveying the room, Cersei realizes how weak she has become. Kevin and Lancel are leaving. Jamie's a company man now, belonging to the, you know, the Kingsguard. Her father and Joffrey both dead. Tyrion, loyal to the family, Previously, as much as she hated him, she could count on him to be loyal to the family. He's gone. Maester Pycelle seems old and ineffective, worthless. She realizes she needs new blood and new allies. The festivities continue, though, and Cersei sees not but what depresses her. Young Roses having a great time, and she broods and while she broods and snipes, snipes at Jamie. See, she sat, shadows in every conversation, suspects everyone and tries to drink her paranoia away so that she doesn't suspect everyone. Finally, she brings this reader's suffering, this reader here, to an end, when she calls for the lighting of a candle to celebrate the union. She, of course, means the aforementioned lighting on fire of the Tower of the Hand. It burns, as things tend to do. And it sounds beautiful, actually. 
And more than beautiful to Cersei, it cleanses her in a way, wiping away old memories and providing an opportunity to start anew in some ways. And as Tommen and Marjorie are taken to their bed by Jamie, she hooks arms with Osmond Kettleblack, perhaps an ally she needs to get closer to. And that's the end of the chapter. Oh, Cersei. Man, reading her chapters, she's just, she's worried about everything. And mm-hmm. you know what? I'm not sure she's wrong. She probably should be. Yeah. 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 Let's be honest. The Lannisters certainly hold the throne, and that is a huge deal. But they don't really have a ton, right? Like, Yeah. Uh, Support-wise and, and things like that. Yeah. It's, it's a tenuous, tenuous uh, situation, I think, to be a Lannister right now. Well, I feel I feel like I feel like George set this up intentionally to mm-hmm. compare these two weddings and how they differ, mm-hmm. to show the respective decline of the Lannisters and and maybe Cersei specifically. I don't I don't know the Lannisters in general for sure. You know, you you go from Joffrey's wedding where it's this immaculate feast of seventy seven. I think it was seventy seven courses with all these players of music and opulence and. Every everyone there, you know, a thousand guests or more, and you come to this, this small thing, where she barely has any friends, mm-hmm. and you feel like without without it even being, without it being directly addressed in the text, all of a sudden you're like, holy shit, the Lannisters have nothing in this town. Well, and a lot of it she's done to herself. She's so paranoid that she's she's just completely clutching what she has close to her and looking inward. She she can't. She's not out relationship building. She's not out doing any of these things. It's all just about self preservation at this point. Yeah, she's a, <clears throat> she's a bit preoccupied, right, by the prophecy. Uh, she's thinking about seemingly thinking about it all the time. She's thinking about Tyrion and worried about it all the time as well, uh, despite the fact that you know Jamie has cleared out the cellars with numerous men and seems to think that he's not down there. Um, yeah, she's preoccupied a bit. Instead of kind of playing the game and making more friends, it seems she's preoccupied. She's got her one friend. She's got Lady Merryweather. They're kind of the housewives of the Crownlands, uh, main yeah, characters. <laughs> but is she? Or is she yeah, a player? Right. Right? Now that's why I use that example because yeah, I don't know if you've ever watched those muddy reality shows, but they're all friends, but they're not really friends. All these rich Listen, housewives. I love smut, but I'm not sure what you're talking about. Good. Okay. Just stay away from it. Okay. I feel like somehow that might be smuttier than even the stuff I watch. <laughs> so smuttier than the stuff you watch. <laughs> hey, I have admitted nothing here. Let the record show. Uh... So I feel I feel like this 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 chapter kind of made Marjorie a player. Uh, Taina has admitted that Sinel, uh her I think it's Sinel, yep, her servant is basically a spy. Mm-hmm. Um, and the fact that Taina is telling Cersei this makes her a player, mm-hmm. unless Taina is. Also, telling her out of the direction of 
Marjorie or Lady Elena, perhaps, as part of some sort of bigger thing. Mm-hmm. I kind of, I kind of feel like they're all in league against Cersei, and she's just being gullible. But yeah, absolutely. It's easy to see if you're close to Cersei. I think it's easy to see that she's unstable, and yeah. I think Olena pushes those buttons any opportunity yeah. she can get. She knows oh, exactly she for sure what does. she's doing. She knows yeah. exactly what she's doing. So that's yeah. a that's a fun point to consider. Is Olena, you know, in is Tyna doing this under the direction of Olena to just drive Cersei that much more towards the brink, you know? Yeah, she could be. She it's could fun. Be. It's fun. Uh let's see. I loved how Cersei accuses Loras of being so Tyrell he pisses Rosewater. <laughs> yet she expects Jamie to do the exact same thing for the Lannister family. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> of course. She thinks you know, Loras can't be trusted as a Kingsguard knight because he's still so Tyrell. But heaven forbid, you know, yeah. Jamie try to be objective as a member of the Kingsguard. Yeah. Or and, unbiased. And... Jamie, for his part, seems like uh, he's doing a good job. Right. Good plan to protect Tommen. Yeah, kind he's, of, he's, uh, he seems like he's covered all his bases. Yeah, good for him. Yeah. I, I loved his, uh, he said it two or three times, I didn't count, that Cersei just lobs a dig in Jamie's direction, and all he says is, I love you too, sweet sister. Yeah, and then walks away. Yeah, yeah. And leaves. Is that is that uh, is this truly kind of affecting Jamie, or or is he even just past the point of caring anymore with Cersei? Is he done with Cersei? Do you think? Well, I, I would say he's done with doing Cersei's bidding. Uh huh. But you can never really be done with someone that you feel that strongly about. Sure, it's affecting him. Uh huh. But he's not he's not gonna let it affect him to the point where it's gonna affect his decision making. Where he's not gonna do his job. He's well. not he's not gonna he's not gonna allow himself to be controlled. This mm-hmm. is a thing that I you know, I, I harped on Jamie about for a long time about he just let himself be controlled by the people around him. And he's come to the point, I think it was back in the you know, the 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 white book chapter yeah. where he kinda looked at it and was like I'm I'm just not going to be that way anymore. I've got a I'm lot of write, pages left to write. I got a, yep, yeah. and I'm going to write the truth, and it's going to be valuable. Mm-hmm. And you know, respect to him. He's not perfect. He still has some, uh, you know, some biases towards the Lannister family and the way he acts. But you know, he's doing a good job. He's on. A, he's on speaking. an interesting path. Yeah, that's his way of saying, "I know what you're trying to do to me, Cersei." You're yeah. trying to get me to react emotionally and go to your level of emotional reaction. I'm not going to do it. Yeah, I'm not going to do it. I'm still here. I'm still your brother, my sweet sister, but yeah. I'm yep. going to do me. Yeah, I, I'd say the only final note I have in this chapter, uh, unless you want to talk about the prophecy stuff, mm-hmm. uh, the final note I have in this chapter is just relaying back to the title of the episode. Poor Tommen, man. Mm-hmm. Heavy lies the crown. Like, he can't even dance without his mom being like, you're fucking shitty. Yeah. You know, like, this kid has no chance of succeeding with the crown. Like, the poor kid. I think everyone else is just like, he's just a kid. I I think people see Tommen in one yeah. of two ways. Those who are 
are just like, he's a kid. How adorable. How cute. You know, he's not Joffrey. You know, he's he's not King Ares. We can. He's you know, nine. He's he's a kid, and and that's great. What a great little guy. And then there's others that, of course, see it as an opportunity. Um, yeah. With with a king like that on the throne, and then you've got Cersei, who nothing is good enough because Never. he's not enough not like Joffrey. his psychotic older brother who sucked on her boobs better than any man ever right but he could dance well scott he was a good he did graceful have an easy dancer grace. yeah. Yeah. yeah he was a graceful sure. dancer so yeah. tommen doesn't have that screw him ah screw him jeez like i said before we did this reread for this podcast i was like well at least cersei loves her children bull crap matt bull crap <laughs> I'm not. I wouldn't go so far as to say she doesn't love them, but she certainly has. She loves she herself uses, a lot more than them. Yeah, she uses her love for them as an excuse for the things she does for herself as well. Exactly. It's definitely I, a mixed bag. It's those. It's those. It's those. Uh, the parents of the the child athlete star athletes. I'm I'm pushing you. I'm making you hit 200 balls a day in our batting cage in the backyard because I love you and want what's best for you. Yeah. Before you for can me go out and play. Or for you. Right. Yep. Yeah. 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 All right. You got anything else for the Cersei chapter? Nope. Me neither. I found it dull. <laughs> it was a rough one to get through. A little bit. A fascinating right, well, look into Cersei's character, but not a surprising one. Yeah, but as we Honestly. said before, I feel like we got into her mind even without a POV. George did such a good job mm-hmm. with her. I feel like we knew who she was without it. Anyway. Yeah, very true. Uh, all right. Uh, time to move on to Dolphus After Dark. Let's do it, man. All right. Thanks, everybody, for joining us for the main section of the podcast. If you want to avoid spoilers, jump out now because we're about to enter Davos After Dark. Dun, 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 dun. So, smash the device you're listening to. If you want to avoid spoilers, then join us in three weeks for the next A Feast with Dragons episode. Now See you it's then, time guys. for Davos After Dark. Davos after dark. All right, so I thought we'd start with Danny. Um, this is not something that I've heard discussed too much, and so I thought maybe we'd we'd uh, blaze some some unique ground here. Okay. Um, I was very interested in Barry's uh, Barry and Selmy's softening mm-hmm. of Eddard Stark and what it means to Danny in the future. I mean, there are theories abound with Danny John becoming consorts the throne uh you know everyone thinks she's gonna have a relationship in some way but all those relationships it seems like they kind of forget she fucking hates the starks she does not like the starks right now yep yeah we're kind of forcing that john and danny relationship on them (laughs) yeah without realizing that she hates the starks yeah yeah and uh you know what what will this does this mean something this softening from barristan she trusts barristan a lot does it mean something? I don't know, man. Because on the other hand, if you know we got RL equals J, which you know it's, it's pretty much accepted now, um, yeah. could that change it? Knowing that he's also a Targaryen, or could that lead to a real big kind of crisis of thought for Danny with this guy who's half something she hates and half her own family, right? Yeah. 
Um, John refusing to become John Stark. That could help. So far, yeah. at least. Yeah, it um, might help. Yeah, it might. Um, and it, you, you know, know what? I, it, you know, the, if, the fan, it's it's important to remember, like the fandom accepts RLJ as truth. Mm-hmm. There's not necessarily any evidence that anyone else is going to even find that out. Howland right. Reed is in, you know, the marshes and may never resurface. I personally think Jojen and Mira know that story and could reveal it themselves and therefore could have told it to Bran to be, be revealed later. But, um, you know, she might just see John as a Stark and not as her, what would be, cousin, right? Uh, uh, nephew. Right. Uh, she's Rhaegar's. She's Rhaegar's sister. Yes. Right. And John would be right, Rhaegar's sorry. son. Yeah. I had to think that through too. Yeah, it takes some time sometimes. <laughs> Even as Targaryens, you gotta really take a step back and think of it. Yeah. Yep. Uh, not just for John, though. You think about the other Stark kids. True. Bran. What if she encounters Bran? What? Yeah. What if she uh, spawn of Edard? Up, ends up at Winterfell, where yeah. you know maybe Sansa ends up. Um, Littlefinger wants Winterfell, we know. So, what if Sansa and Danny interact? You know, with yeah. her identity as Elaine right now, maybe Danny wouldn't know. But this could be bad. Yeah, could be. I thought of, and and I don't know if, if this this has nothing, just me being morbid, but uh, I think of the two dead children laid at the feet of you know of the Lannisters, uh, her her other niece and nephew, Danny's, and what if you know history is a wheel and we get something like that again, and we get two dead Stark children laid maybe at Jon Snow's feet or something. Uh, Sansa and Rickon, or something like that. Hmm. How terrible Don't would that be? Don't you talk shit about Rickon. How how would that be? He is the prince that was promised. <laughs> I can't quote. I, I don't know what that means. No, he wasn't. Oh, no, he wasn't. But I love him. Poxy Tim is. Yeah, Hazel Rahai, Poxy Tim. I'm, <laughs> I'm counting on you, buddy. Come back. That's Come a, back to that's me. That's a hill we're dying on. Anyways, it's all conjecture at this point, but I agree with you that, uh, and I like doing this now in Davos After Die. I like challenging those things that we kind of just take for granted. Oh yeah, yeah, she'll just love John. Yeah. What if she doesn't know that John is John and that just thinks he's a Stark? Right. Any of the Stark kids. Yep. Or like we've done with, uh, or like we've done with the dragons. Like we spend so much time talking about who's going to be the dragon riders who says they're going to be rideable <laughs> yeah yeah right <laughs> i like she doesn't leave two of them in the in the cave i, I mean yeah. who knows mm-hmm. yeah yeah i mean uh, she's so hateful toward the usurpers like yep. why would she treat them any different than they treated her uh-huh and especially mm-hmm. with her on this dark path that we've talked about where she's starting yeah. to to let the dragon resurface a little bit more in her mind yeah. you know the yep. direction in which she's trending mentally which goes a little bit to a second question for for danny uh i found i found pretty interesting the blood of the dragon stuff that she was talking about in her chapter mm-hmm. dragons cannot feed a hungry child or help a dying woman's pain i feel like danny is a very uh 
emotionally driven character. She wants what's best for people. Absolutely. And she's really questioning, like, am I fit to rule? Yeah. Is she? Well, I think she needs to pick a side, man. Or yeah, because she she is she is very uh, emotionally driven, um, and and she does want what's best for people, and I think she does care about people quite a bit. But so far, that hasn't seemed to work ruling wise, and so she's trying to be this hard a ruler too, and that's not you know completely working either. So I don't know. It's it seems like straddling the line isn't getting her anywhere. So what do you do? Yeah, I'm with you there. Yeah. Find a third way like Asha. Yeah, find a third way. Okay, well, uh, let's move on. Um, Perhaps we can talk about Reek. Uh, Maybe a review of where Ramsey's going. And what that means for Reek slash Theon. Uh-huh. So I, I I'm at least a little interested in, you know, did did Ramsey plan on Theon having this role with the Arya wedding, or was this just luck? Like hit one of his victims happened to survive. <laughs> you know, good good thing they can be a witness now. I really don't see Ramsey as that conniving type. Forward thinking. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I almost I almost think it was lucky. I was like, oh, I'm gonna torture this guy. Oh look, he's useful now. Right. It's, it's almost it's it's almost too uh I don't know. Too too much to believe he's he's thinking that clearly. I can see him being like, okay, um Theon, I could use him. Uh, we've got Ironborn, you know, at Moat Kaelin yeah. and, and around still. Uh, he could become valuable in the future. I'll keep him around. But yep. while I'm keeping him around, I'm going to have some Ramsey fun with him. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. True. True. Could be. So where is Ramsey going next? We know he's he going says, south, right? Going south. Yeah. But. Uh, going to do dad a solid. Yeah, and I hate to do this, uh, and maybe I shouldn't because I haven't consulted the the timeline too closely. But he's a long way away from anybody else at the Dreadfort. Yeah, it's it's a it's a trip. It's a trek to get anywhere. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. just readers, keep that in mind. Wherever he ends up next, it should have taken him a while to get there, unless he's just going to Last Hearth, which he isn't. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Okay, let's move on. Um, let's talk about. Let's go back to the John stuff. The John stuff is fun. Oh my goodness, that is going to be a lot of Davos after dark fodder for the next few John chapters. <laughs> well, do you want to leave it for later? We can. No, no, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that uh, we can have some good talks tonight, and we're going to have some good talks later. Yeah, yeah. I'm looking, and I think this is kind of the last thing we need to talk about. We've got some other stuff. We could talk about, but this is better. Mm-hmm. Uh, does Stannis know about the Mance Rattleshirt switch? <sighs> I would. That one's tricky because there's no direct evidence that he does. 
Um, on the other hand, I can see the new Stannis uh, perhaps keeping people alive for their usefulness. Not the new Stannis, but, you know, he didn't kill Davos when Davos let Edric go. Um, and so I, I can see Stannis keeping Mance around, but still needing to show that illusion of I'm in charge now and your guy's dead. So Here's I'll this allow is... this to happen. I can see Here's what this that. is interesting for me. John says something in the middle of this chapter, and I'll butcher it. I'm not going to get it right. But he says something like, is this the power of King's blood? After, you know, supposed Mance, who... Oh, in case we didn't spoil this enough, Mance is not actually Mance's rattle shirt. Uh, I'm sure everyone knows that. But John says, is this the power of King's blood? And so the question about does Stannis know is an interesting question because it implies, whether he knows or not, implies whether he's in or not on the deception of the magic of the sword, right? Mm-hmm. Mel is very clearly here putting on a show for people. It is Barnum and Bailey. It is Ringling Brothers. Like, she's putting on a show for a very specific reason to try to intimidate and maybe gain followers, right? And if Stannis doesn't know about Mance Rattleshirt Switch, then she's tricking him too. Mm-hmm. Right? And that's that's not so good, man. That's biting the hand that feeds, right? Well and 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 uh with that a little bit, I think one of the most important chapters in maybe at least a dance with dragons is Melisandre's POV because we finally get a look inside her mind. And what we see is that she is, she actually believes in Stannis actually believes in Stannis a, and she actually is there for what she feels are the right reasons. She is convict that the others are bad and she is there to fight the others She's not there to put Stannis on a throne or something like that. Yeah, if it will help achieve that goal of him fighting the others and being Azor High, but she is convict in the belief that Stannis is Azor High and he needs to get there to fight the others. Right. To her, her intentions are pure. And we questioned him until we got to that POV and now we go, Wow, she is really in this. Like yeah. There isn't anything funny going on there. Well, there's plenty of funny things, but her core belief is is pure, right? As far as she sees yeah. it, as far as she understands it. Yeah. And so I, I'm with you. I think it's not explicitly stated and we don't have a lot of evidence to go off of, but judging from that relationship and all of that stuff, I would think that, that Stannis is in on it. But, you think he yeah. knows? Yeah. I, would, I would venture to say... I don't know if it's a hill I'll die on, but... Okay, so, all right, so don't die on it, but if 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 he knows, then he knows it's not a real king. Mm-hmm. I mean, Mance isn't even a fucking real king either. I mean, like, <laughs> you know, putting all the cards out on the table, right? I, unless, unless Mance Rhaegar. Unless he is that. a king, Scott. He yeah. is. And, okay, but let's assume that's not true for just a second. Never. Maybe, maybe you're right, Matt. But I'll, let's just say for a okay. second it's not true. Okay, okay, for a second. 
then he's again all in on this complete deception that he doesn't actually believe in, right? With all this light play from his sword. Uh-huh. Right? Uh-huh. Yeah. Because that's the way to get to the wildlings. That's the way to get them. He's a goddamn hypocrite, Matt. I uh, no one no one has has railed on Stannis more than I have. Well, no, probably Brooke some has. people. But I I can't stand the guy a lot of the times. But he's he's awful. Like I okay, I like him. I like him in a lot of ways and I feel in a lot of ways that he would actually be the best king of mm-hmm. Westeros, but he puts a lot of shit aside. Yep. To believe what he believes and do what he does. Yep. Listen, this this guy, Mance Raider, is the one guy who's been able to unite the wildlings. Yeah. Stannis has killed him. It's about yeah. PR for Stannis at this point. It's the illusion of power. I took mm-hmm. your guy who got all of you together and I just burned him. And I had him screaming like denying who he even was. You talked about torture early and how torture can get people to say whatever. I made yep. your guy who unified you all deny he was a king, deny he was even Mance Raider. Yep. So, yeah, he does it. He totally does it. Yeah. That's not taking away. He's got a lot of good qualities. But he does. He drives me absolutely insane. Yeah, in some ways. <laughs> All right, for for one second, let's assume Mance Rhaegar is true. Oh man, you're so accommodating, Scott. You are so accommodating to me and my little pet theories. Look, Matt, I if you to. desert me, if you desert me, I have no podcast. So <laughs> I have to accommodate some. Right back uh, at you. It goes both ways. <laughs> it does. I will watch an episode of Critical Role. <laughs> no, you'll you'll watch many after you watch the first because it's amazing. Uh, Hashtag critical. First step. Uh, Mance didn't have his cloak when he went to his execution. Maybe mm-hmm. it was the item Rhaegar needed to preserve his glamour as Mance. Yeah, Melisandre so, talks about how you know that helps the glamour, having the finger bone or the the. Well, she does say the finger bones. Um, having the bones of Rattleshirt helps preserve that illusion to outsiders that uh, Mance is Rattleshirt. But we're so, actually talking about like a secondary illusion in this case. Right. We're talking about Rhaegar has been operating with an illusion for a long time. Something beyond the red uh-huh. coat. Because he yeah. didn't have that red coat the whole time and he was operating as man. I mean, I, supposedly, maybe at the wall, I suppose, he could have just been himself without any sort of glamour. And assume nobody would recognize him. That's possible. But at some point, he got this cloak. And at mm-hmm. some point, you're assuming there's a glamour uh, to not be Rhaegar and instead be Mance. Right. And now we're saying, oh, well, we didn't give his coat away because that is the item he's using for his... He, ne- he needs it. He needs yeah. it. Or he can't maintain his own glamour. There's you a know. glamour going on with Rattleshirt being Mance, but... If Mance gave him his coat, he couldn't maintain his own glamour of being Rhaegar. It's uh, too deep. Yeah, you got Dennis Malister wanting him to get rid of the cloak, and he wouldn't because he couldn't. 
Uh-huh. Yeah, yep, uh-huh. that was back in ASOS, I think. Yeah, maybe, maybe even ACOC. But that that um, is one of that is one of the potential weaknesses and unexplained things of the Mance Rhaegar theory. Is right now, if if Mance is Rhaegar, we have an inception of glamours going on. Yes, we have a guy who's currently glamoured taking on a second glamour. Yes, Rhaegar is glamoured as Mance. Mance is glamoured as Rattleshirt. How does that work? Well, not exactly. Not not exactly. Man, uh, Rhaegar is glamoured as Mance. Rattleshirt is also glamoured as Mance. Mm-hmm. It's not yep. really an inception. It's more of like a deception. Well, no, but I mean that you've got a guy who's currently wearing a glamour, now taking on another glamour. And can you do oh, that? Oh, as a Rattleshirt. Yeah. Yes. Right. And, and yes. That, but you bring up a good point. Can two guys be glamoured as the same person? I don't see why not. Yeah, we don't know as long as you, as long yet. as you hide the other one, mm-hmm. so that it's not confusing. Mm-hmm. I mean, look, who knows? This? Who knows how this shit works? <laughs> but we don't. It seems it seems yeah. legitimate to me. Yeah. Uh, it's I'm not ready to kill the Mance Rhaegar theory for that reason, just for you know a bunch of other reasons. <laughs> All right, uh, what else we got? I think that's it. I don't. I don't yeah. think we need to. Do we need to talk prophecy for seriously? Eh. You know, I think in a later chapter we get a more fleshed out look at the Maggie the Frog prophecy. I feel in, like in we a later must. we do in a later Cersei chapter. Uh, she goes into a much finer detail, and it might be better to save it until then. Uh, in the meantime, on both the so this Maggie the Frog Valencar prophecy, as well as the Quaith stuff, which we haven't really touched on very much. Um, I would recommend the Radio Westeros podcasts, both of whom go into deep, interesting depth on on uh, both of those prophecies. The Valencar okay. one is in the Jamie and Cersei episode that they have. Hmm. And the Quaith one is at the very end of... Oh, they've got, I forget the title now. Sorry, Yoke Boy and Lady Gwen. I forget the title of your episode, but it is the one that is devoted completely to prophecy. So look for that one. And this is completely unrelated, um, but I have, in the last uh, week or so, listened to the Westeros Gwyneverly uh, podcast about Oily Blackstone, as well as their Hightower episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've also listened to the um, Empire of the Dawn episode from History of Westeros, which mm-hmm. blew my mind. They had with them uh, Lucifer's Lightbringer, uh, or Lucifer Means Lightbringer, uh, which is the astronomy of ice and fire right. guy. Mm-hmm. And that episode this week blew my mind. I, I just want to leave, I don't want to talk about it really because I don't have a ton of stuff prepared this time but i feel like the high tower family and this is you know it's not a ton of original thought because i got it from this history of westeros and the westeros Wonderfully podcast but i felt this for a long time myself as well the high tower family is just kind of hidden mm-hmm. they're like they're very um they're a major player. Major player. They have well-to-do stories. Well-to-do, and also they have marriages spread out among the Red Wines and the Tyrells and mm-hmm. lots of powerful areas. 
and they're just kind of quiet. Yep. You know, kind of like the quiet people that like they're like I'm not sure what they're doing. I don't I don't know. And they're doing something. And we came back and we we talked about the Quaith stuff and we we didn't talk a lot about the Quaith stuff, but I wonder if Leighton Hightower, the the ruling Hightower, is not in some way in league with the Citadel, in some way dealing with Black Candle shit. Yeah, yeah. And and actually involved with Danny through this Black Candle magic mm-hmm. to talk to her through Quaith. I, I feel like Quaith is maybe Marwin the Mage. Really? Pro- projecting... Yeah, I didn't... I should have brought it up in the notes. I feel like maybe it's Marwin the Mage projecting something to Danny in some way. Maybe it's Sorella. I don't want to say. He he definitely has a uh, connection to Danny and a fascination and all that. So yeah. seems to. And Sorella's involved in some way. Maybe this is how Sorella comes in play. That mm-hmm. he's that Sorella is Quaith and he's like projecting this image. I don't know. I don't know, man. I have no proof. I have no proof at all. Yeah. Radio Westeros just... uh, makes a really cool. Uh, uh, puts forth a really cool idea that Quaith is actually Rayella Targaryen, Danny's mom. Oh, yeah. from where? That because uh, no one actually saw her die in childbirth, and that maybe she went to a shy where she thought that she could help uh, figure out kind of what her children's destinies were supposed to be because she heard the prophecy about mm. you know the prince's promise coming from her. She went yeah. to go learn more about that and is now involved with that. And they put forth some really cool evidence. So that's another cool one. Okay, so the summary here is go listen to a bunch of other podcasts too because they have cool thoughts. That's what that's what I was going to say is you were talking about listening to History Westeros, Westeros Whateverly. You know, a lot of times you think of it as a competition. This podcast is the best. That podcast Dude. is the best. Let's rank them one, two, three, four. It's so much more enlightening. It's so much more fun to just take them all for what they're good at and if what you they have do. Time. If you have time, yeah. <laughs> just there's so yeah. much good that, oh. that that these people have to offer that are out there producing podcasts, and we're not even yeah. mentioning all of the great ones. But yep. all of them have their own unique strengths and things they do so well, and insights that they have. And yeah. you know, don't don't just say. If you're listening to Davos Fingers and you think Davos Fingers is the best, first of all, I would challenge that. <laughs> no, no, say, no. We are. We're, we are. You're missing yeah. a ton if you're sticking exclusively with just one podcast. There is so much good out there. So listen. To I don't it. think anybody is. I, look, our podcast is awesome. We do some fun stuff. Mm-hmm. We have some good insights. We have our way of doing things. Yeah, yeah. But man, there's other people doing other stuff that's that's totally different and totally go check it out we this is not a competition how do we even get to this point we're talking about this This it's not a competition i feel like this is uh, that's one of the amazing things about this fandom it feels like there's always room for more yep uh there's always room for one more if you've seen robin hood prince of thieves (laughs) um yeah it's a great fandom go check everything out I, i recommend for sure in addition to what matt said about the radio westeros episodes i recommend for sure the Empire of the Dawn episode from History Westeros. It was awesome. And uh, Tana and Dave did a great job on Westeros whenever we're referring to those and coming up with some of their own original thoughts. Uh, so check those out too. Yep. Oily Blackstone and the Hightower episodes. Good stuff. Well, on that note, 
I think we can end it, man. Should we kill the boy? Meaning, dude, let's kill the boy and the man and you know whatever is left because it's been two hours and forty five minutes or something. Yep, it has. All right, man. Love you, Matt. Okay. Love uh, you, love you, Kalisar. Love you guys. Should we just sign off with that tonight? Because I realized I didn't really prepare a sign off. Um, Yeah, let's sign off with that. Love you, uh, Kalisar. Love you, Kalisar. We love our fellow podcasters. We love our fellow listeners. You guys are the best. Good night. Good night. Masquerade as Vegas. Heavy is the crowd. Beaten down and broken. Drama wears you down. Hey, Matt, I gotta, I gotta run, take a restroom break real quick. Okay. All right, I'm back. Better? Better. So much pressure relieved. Mm. Yeah. Have fun with that edit and with those behind the scenes (laughs) outtakes. Yeah, I was was watching a, again, not a Metallica podcast, but you got me started and I love music. So here I go. I was watching a little behind the scenes of them developing one of their songs off their new album. I think it was the lead off single. I don't even remember what it's called now. You do. Uh, But, um, you know, and it shows James and Lars, the drummer in there starting things off. And they kind of wrote the song together, as I think is pretty common. Lars and James writing the music to the songs. Um, yeah, they usually start together before everyone else, and then bring everyone else in. Yeah, right. And and Kurt just comes in to the studio, and he doesn't even go into the recording studio space. He's sitting there in the booth, the recording booth, in front of all the mixers and stuff. A lot of guitarists, you know, they, if they can just plug right into the mixing board, they don't need to go out into the acoustic space of the recording area. And he just he just laid that sucker down and it, it like it, i think it was the first time he'd really been introduced to the song and it was just like yeah. done yeah okay see ya yeah so yeah he's brilliant cool. we have one follower that just like fast forwarded through that whole thing i don't remember his name now but he hates metallica so much his name's chris chris yeah. carpaccio yeah that guy dude he hates metallica so bad we Come just back. Lost you him. can listen now you can listen we now. just lost him yeah 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 <laughs> the uh special features they they revealed that the guy who played Bodie, he when he was trying to get the role he somehow got gareth edwards email address the director and oh, he geez. kept sending him iphone uh f- videos of himself doing different versions of Bodhi that he came up with and they, there's like there's like 150 different versions he would do oh man and even after he got the part he kept sending him stuff <laughs> until finally he realized i'm gonna lose this part if i don't shut up i'm driving this guy nuts but <laughs> he really yeah. wanted it the the stuff with him in the ship uh, the stuff with him in the ship as he's trying to send the message up uh-huh. uh it just it, it it really reveals how engaged he is in this now yeah, you get the sense it's early on. It's just like I'm here to say I'm here to save myself. I've got to finish this and get the information out, and then I'm done. And then mm-hmm. by the end, he's just engaged, right? It's like this is a job I have to do, and uh, very cool. Anyway, yep. anyways, I liked him a lot more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's move on. We've spent enough time on that. Did Did I tell you the story about Sacagawea coins with my family? Sacagawea? No. <laughs> so. We- so my 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 youngest, uh, or sorry, my oldest, Pippin, started getting into money. He likes monster trucks. He wants to buy monster trucks. He's like, I want to gather money so I can go buy monster trucks. 
Like a full-size monster truck or a toy monster truck? No, like little toy ones. They have like a whole line of them, right? Sure. And so, you know, we like give him some coins, like put in his little piggy bank or whatever, not realizing like what a monster we're creating with like demanding more coins. And he's got some coins there every once in a while. He like makes us like count them for him to see how much he has and whatever. Mm-hmm. And he's got some Sacagaweas in there. And we call him like, okay, you got two Sacagaweas. And he doesn't understand, obviously, who Sacagawea is. And he has a kid in his class named Jack. And he has a cousin named Sophia. And he, <laughs> so he calls them Jack and Sophia's. <laughs> and so now the golden coins in our household Jack are Sophia's. called Jack and Sophia's. <laughs> yeah. You've got dragons. You've got, what are the other coins in Westeros called? And then you've got <laughs> yeah. Jack and Sophia's. Jack and Sophia's. So, Matt, edit this out, because nobody but you and me are going to find that cute or anything else. <laughs> There'll be a couple. But Jack and Sophia's. Jack and Sophia's. Okay. Hey, Blood Riders, you had a lot of good songs today. So the first one that you heard was Man Who Can't Be Moved by The Script. That's off their self-titled album. Uh, next was called Burning Man. Third Eye Blind, off of their self-titled album. Then we threw it clear back to Pink Floyd with Wish You Were Here. That's off their album, Wish You Were Here. Uh, The Last Stop was another song we did by Dave Matthews Band off of their album Before These Crowded Streets. And then finally, there with the closeout song, we had Atlas Rise. That's by Metallica off their newest album, Hardwired to Self-Destruct. We had a lot of fun recording this one. Hope you guys enjoyed it as much as we did. Catch you on the next one. Mm-hmm.